The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events and a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Well, welcome back, world, to a Solid 7 Podcast, a better-than-average podcast, if I do say so. Myself, this isn't a show about nothing, but it's also not a show about any one thing. Each week, I like to get together with a guest, talk about whatever's going on in the world that interests us. And this week, I'm happy to uh, welcome Cody Heinschmidt from the uh, Blood Origins podcast. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I think you have the best named podcast in the world, personally. <laughs> well, certainly the the best one that no one's ever heard of. It's my uh, it's my go to joke these days. So. Yeah, naming a and we, we was just talking with my buddy that was on the podcast last week, uh, Jason Alvarado. Uh, he just had uh, his third son, and uh, you know the joke is you don't realize how many people you don't like until you're trying to name a kid. And uh, right, na- right. naming a podcast not much easier. There were there were a lot of losers before we we landed on this winner, but uh, we like it, and I think we live up to it. So. We went super creative with just the name, the Blood Origins podcast. We spent hours and hours of whiteboarding to come up with that one. <laughs> uh, I, I love it. And I still, it was funny, uh, a, a listener, uh, you know, how, how we hooked up, right, is uh, that uh, Robbie, also of Blood Origins fame, was uh, on the Sod 7 podcast here back uh, episode 74. Yeah, episode 74. So uh, a while back, not pre-required listening for this episode, but certainly if you enjoy this one and haven't heard that, you'll want to go back and listen to it. Uh, but, you know, I, I did. I'm a little, I mean, you know this. We, we've talked now. I came over and, and was on on the podcast with you guys. I'm, I'm a little cheeky. I'm a little sarcastic. And so I was, I was relaying to uh, uh, Robbie how uh, it threw me at first a little bit when I saw on Instagram that my account had been followed by Blood Origins. So I, right. I think my joke was something like, oh, great. The, the Wiccans are on board on something. But, you know, Robbie, like he's on he's on this mission and he's this passionate dude. And he's like, no, it makes perfect sense. And I'm like, no, man, I know it does make perfect sense. I'm just looking for a laugh, brother. <laughs> right, right. He uh, the, the some of the uh, if you took the stereotypes of someone that is a doctor, a scientist, um, Robbie falls into some of the very, very, very literal sometimes. It's not like he's dry or doesn't have a sense of humor, um, but sometimes it's uh, very literal and takes things very literally. And uh, it took a while for my sarcasm and I'm the, I'm the troublemaker, right? Like I'm, I'm poking fun and, and uh, you know, making fun of his dorky scientist statements that he made and makes on the show. And it took, it took a while for him to realize, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to get a laugh yeah. too, right? Like I think I, you know, that, that's all it is. And there's no harm meant at all. And, uh, 
he's finally he's finally coming around to it a little bit yeah i i love it he's a great guy man and uh you know like the content coming out of blood origins the podcast the video content everything's so awesome and so much of his passion drives that so i'm certainly not knocking it but i'm like it's it's okay doc i get you're not a wiccan <laughs> right Let's right see. no but yeah but that that sums up rob yeah. you know the fact that that uh had to be explained <laughs> You know, it, it, he is so passionate about it. It's the thing that drew me to it, um, to Blood Origins in the first place, was the passion that he had in it. Um, you know, t- literally so much so that he never took the time to think about a funding mechanism and was just burning his own savings um, to make Blood Origins happen. And uh, you know, that's kind of that's how I got involved in it. I'm like, man, this you're, you're making stuff that's good enough that people will support you. Yeah. Um, if you if you go out and provide those mechanisms, and uh, you know, here we are, two and a half years later, with uh, people on payroll now, as opposed to uh, burning his salary or his savings. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, well, let's uh, let's go back. Uh, you know, let's take things all the way back to. Your beginning and tell that uh, whole love story leading up to how you how you guys right. connected. It's always a little bit of podcast business business that we have to get out of the way here at the Solid Seven Podcast, which is we're fueled uh, by Jocko Go. It's the only thing that makes the podcast uh, halfway worth listening to. So I did send some Jocko Go your way. Did it make it there? Holy! <laughs> Wait, do we 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 cuss on your? Yeah, why not? I literally. Holy crap, man! We almost had a. Uh, now looking back, I think I knew too. There was almost an incident of domestic violence in my house because my wife and I were accusing each other of who ordered this stuff. <laughs> Not like anyone was upset, but I was like, I was like, "Hey, you didn't tell me you were ordering ordering this stuff." She's like, "I didn't order that. You ordered it." And I'm like, "There's no way." And I mean, we went back and forth on. Uh, we we went through the process of going through our. Did Amazon fulfill it? Yeah, the, the, it should have come with a. Yeah, should have yeah. come with a little note. I run a professional what? show here, man. It would have said Solid <laughs> Seven and said something about looking forward to podcasting. All that fluff stuff you're supposed to do. I do all that stuff, man. Oh wow, wow! You have no idea. <laughs> we almost we went through our Amazon order summary trying to figure out like who ordered it, and then no, I, I don't know. Yeah, and this house is chaotic enough, yeah. man, that I, I appreciate the note, but the note probably went in the trash. It, not that we're, we don't care and very much appreciate the the stuff. It was my first time having it. We, you know, we, after we decided whether or not we needed to ship it back to whoever <laughs> shipped it to us wrongly, we we had it as good stuff. Yeah, well, that, that makes this my new favorite. There's been many uh, great Jacko Go moments here on the podcast, but this is my new favorite one, uh, that it both uh, caused some marital strife and that ultimately you enjoyed the Jocko Go. That's a win all the way yeah. around. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack open. I sent you watermelon, which is one of my favorites. They just revamped all their flavors, and there's just no losers in the bunch anymore, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack open a... Uh, Tropic Thunder here to sip on while we while we do this thing. So, uh, but Thank I, you. I uh, you know, I asked for your address so I could send that stuff your way. And uh, you're you're out in Colorado. Is that is that home for now, or is that where you grew up? Like, uh, oh, there is no way I'm moving all my shit again. I'm dying here. <laughs> um, no, I grew up in Kansas, um, and uh, a minus a little stint in the marine corps lived within about uh 
lived within 30 miles of the hospital I was born in for 44 years, except for the, the four years that I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and then uh, met my current wife and uh, actually told her that uh, I genuinely think that people think that I drug her away from her home base in Dallas. But all, I told her that I, I, I was going to get a cabin in the mountains. Always kind of been um, just a thing in the back of my mind. There wasn't anyone holding me back. It wasn't like I'm saying previous life. I wasn't allowed to do this. It just wasn't, you know, it, it was always something that I wanted to have a place in the mountains. And I was literally thinking like, you know, I'm going to buy three acres and drop a single wide out there that I go to a couple times, you know, during the year and I can stay for a couple years and I can just say I have a place in the mountains. And uh, she started sending me Zillow links that were not cabins. <laughs> um, and so we we moved up here. Here's a little bit of a funny story about that, that uh, she has, she has a, uh, we have an 11 year old and a 16 year old who, when we were getting married, were an eight year old and a 13 year old. And uh, their spring break started on March 13th of 2020. So I bought this house in January and we decided for their spring break to come up here. The house needed a lot of work, kind of remodeling stuff. So on March 12th, after they got out of school, um, we jumped in my truck and drove here from Dallas, about 12 hour drive. Plan was we were going to stay for a week, line up some uh, contractors and then get them back to school and then move when they got out of school in June. So March 12th, right? March 13th was the day that Trump, that, that COVID became a, a thing right. thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, people were talking about it, but March 13th was the day that school started closing. Um, and we, we, we never went back. I drove my truck back and loaded up a U-Haul. Like the, our whole world was just kind of turned upside down. Um, the, the boys did online school at their school district in Colorado while sleeping on the wooden floors that we were tearing out at this house in Colorado. So it was kind of a weird, uh, I don't ever, I mean, I know whatever anyone thinks about COVID, right? Whatever. It messed a lot of people's lives up, yeah. whether, whether the virus did it more than the reaction, whatever it, it screwed a lot of things up. So I don't want to make light of it, but honestly, for our moving situation, Trump shutting down the, the the country shutting down the way it did on March 13th could not have been any better because we were able to uh, get a house. We had a, a one year plan to remodel the house and it took us three and a half months because we nobody could go anywhere or do anything else or get other things done. Yeah. Well, not to mention that you got to pull that U-Haul on the emptiest interstate you'll ever drive for the rest of your life. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, that whole, absolutely. It's, I mean, it seems like a distant, distant memory now, and especially being in Florida. Like, I mean, we shut down kind of, I mean, kind of <laughs> for a little bit. But, man, there was a while there where, uh, you know, driving around, it felt like that, that cover image they used forever for The Walking Dead, where it's like the interstate right. going into Atlanta is just empty. It was like that everywhere. I'm like, well, this isn't all negatives, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really um... – I'm not a big fan of the state politics necessarily of Colorado in all aspects. 
the little county I live in um, never, n- not nothing, no one knew yeah. that there was really a thing, right? There was this sign, someone printed, someone just typed up this sign on their computer in our county and it said, our governor and all of his infinite wisdom says that you have to wear a mask to come into this place of business. The same idiot said, we're not allowed to ask you about any health concerns. So if you don't have a mask on, we'll gladly just assume it's for medical reasons. Every storefront in, in our entire county had that on, on the front of the, you know, right or wrong, whatever. I don't, Yeah. I think, uh, what, what a crazy, what a crazy thing we're coming out of. Now, growing up Kansas, I mean, yeah, that's you're a proper Midwesterner. Yeah, yeah, about as you know, about as Midwestern yeah. as you can get. It's uh, I had to, you know, I had a, just a really like incredible. Like, if I have anything to complain about my childhood, it's that I didn't have anything to really complain about. That was that's like my biggest complaint. I mean, just. Dad was a cop. Mom started out as a back when people still were secretaries and not office managers. Or, you know, my mom was a secretary and worked her way up into it. Just kind of a. I just had a, I mean, a phenomenal Midwest upbringing, hunting, fishing, playing sports. Um, You know, like I said, my biggest complaint about my childhood is I don't have any legitimate thing to bring to blame all my faults on yeah i uh, i was originally born in illinois myself uh in, in sterling which nobody's ever heard of and the parts that i can remember i lived in dixon which a few people have heard of but all my extended family except for one aunt is there so i spent uh we moved down here when i was really young but i'd go back in the summers and of course visit and stuff and uh everywhere my family was up there is was small town illinois so you don't, if you've never visited the Midwest, you haven't lived in the Midwest, like understanding the landscape, just population wise, you've got your big population centers and everything else is rural. Like you, you drive down a road, it's not an interstate, it's a two lane road. And it's at this point, soy, but corn on one side, corn on the other, and you drive and then you'll start to see a little bit of life. And that's some small town of a few thousand people. And then it flattens back out and the speed limit goes back up and you go to the next one. And that's the way it is all across the Midwest. So is that where we're in between those, those little one stoplight towns and kind of the, the big rural areas you grow up kind of in the middle. I, so I grew up in a town um, that I, if, if I don't have my numbers right in the 1970 census, it was 40,000 people. And in the 2020 census, it was like 40,060 people. The Hutchinson, Kansas, like yeah. zero growth, zero decline, the most stable environment, but 40,000 people. So, you know, weirdly in Kansas, when I was growing up there, that was the, the fourth largest city. Yeah, in I was going to say, that's good. That's decent but, sized. Yeah, yeah. So we were weirdly like, uh, but it's still rural, yeah. right? Like the kids, I mean, I'm a, I'm a 93 high school graduate, um, 1993, you know, so we, uh, we had, uh, we had NWA CDs and, uh, knew who ice cube was, but we didn't really know what, what was actually happening. Right. Like we were, we were, we were trying to be cool and, uh, worldly, um, but 
you know, most of us live within a half mile of a wheat field for sure. Yeah. If not in a wheat field, yeah. Well, and it's, you know, stuff would get there, but it just always felt like it lagged a couple of years behind. Remember, there's a, a time in my late teens where I'd like go visit some family up there in some of the more rural spots. And it was almost like I was going on a mission trip somewhere because if there was anything first world, I'd be surprised. I'm like, wait, you guys have internet? That's awesome. I'm happy for you guys. Yeah, yeah no, no. And I mean, growing up there, it was, it was, you know, good Lord, next, uh, next year is my 30 year high school reunion. So growing up there, um, it was way more exaggerated back then too, right? Yeah. Like the internet didn't exist. So literally we would watch MTV to see what the new music was um, and then wait around for the Hastings. I don't know. Hastings was the, was the record shop in the Midwest where you went to, to get your CDs. Has anything changed more? Like I had this conversation, I I think photography and music, like they're totally different worlds than they were when I was a teenager. Yeah. Like you went and spent $16 on a CD Cause you knew you kind of liked one song of the 15, 12 to 15 songs on there. Yeah. Right. And then I'm old enough that none of our cars, we all were buying CDs before we were cool enough to have CD players in our cars. So we would buy a bunch of CDs and burn off cassette tape, mixtapes to put in our car. Yeah. Until, right? until you saved up to spring for the, the cassette adapter that you could plug right, into your, right, right. your Sony disc man. Right, exactly. And and skipping, like you hit a bump on a country road and the whole CD screwed up and you got to get it reset and yeah. back going again. And <laughs> and now you literally have, you know, we use, we're an Amazon music family. And uh, I mean, you know, it's million. Like yeah. there, there's not a song in the world that I can't have playing in my car in a, in a matter of seconds. Oh yeah. No, I, my, my, my kids are five and three and they'll run around the house and ask Siri for whatever song it is they feel like. And it just plays like there's no concept of right. radio or waiting for that song you want or calling in a request. That's all, that's all dead. That's all gone the way of blockbuster. Yep. Yeah, we, we would, we would listen. I had a, I remember when I got a stereo that had a cassette player in it and we would call in and we, this was like before, this is like 10, 11 years old before you even, before I was even mowing lawns to make money to go buy CDs you would call the request line to the radio station and be like, I want to hear song X, Y, Z. And then you would stand with your finger on the play and record button and a tape in there and the radio blast yep. into your stereo to record the song. So you had it when you wanted to listen to it. It's it's to me that in photography, um, I mean, it's, I, I know I sound like an old man, right? I feel like back in the good old days, it, it, and, but I'm saying, pictures are it's the world is so what what's the number oh. i mean there's got to be a trillion times more pictures taken and viewed daily yeah. than there was just 25 years ago yeah right but you know what i've we we were just uh, we inherited some of my wife's uh, grandma's photo albums um when her grandparents passed and literally there was like an album for every year right and uh, we got some subsection of them. And nobody does that. We don't do it. We've got them all. 
We don't do anything with them. If you look good enough or if lunch looked appetizing enough, you share it to social media. But they all just sit out there, uh, out there in the ether. Oh no, no, you're crazy. We we do it. We uh, so I'm I'm a I'm also I hate Apple. It's a long story. Um, I admit they make incredible products, but I have it like I have a Google Pixel phone, and I'm I'm podcasting with you right now on a Google Chromebook, and it's just a weird uh, stance I have about Apple, but. I'm sure Apple Photos has this as well, but Google Photos has this deal where you make books. Yeah. You know, you can go in and pick your pictures. Sometimes they're goofy, like something's a little offset because it's all automated and everything. I I do those, and I love having them laying yeah. around. They're almost like they're almost like cheap coffee books, coffee table books, yeah. kind of. Right. We we probably ought to and start to do that with the kids because we're 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 an Apple household, and I'm not. We talk a lot of tech on the podcast, but. I've long said I'm not a fanboy. What I do think makes sense is being in one ecosystem and the other because it makes your whole life better. Whatever you're in, do that thing so that everything works together. But what uh, what iOS does is it'll just pull, like every week it'll refresh, and if you've got the widget on your home screen or anything like that, it'll just cycle some memories for you, and it'll pull something fresh every week, and especially with the kids being so little. It hammers us with us all. So we'll, we see those, and we'll send those back and forth all the time. But uh, doing doing some of the printout books that would be that would be a good call. We'd, the kids would get a kick out of that. I think so. they're great. Uh, I tell you what I do sometimes is I give them to my parents as Christmas presents because someday, hopefully, many 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 years from now, but someday then I'm gonna have them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm an only child. I'm an only child. Nobody else is getting them. And uh, that's that's 3D chess. There, you're regifting yourself in right. advance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's the way I. That's the way I roll. Here's yeah. the thing, though. Here's the reason I started doing the books is, so I have, I have a, a daughter who's 25 and a son who's 23. And I started thinking, you know, about the time my daughter was getting into the early teens was kind of the real eruption of digital. We all had a camera in our, everyone had a camera. I'm not saying that's when it started. I don't need to be told that I'm five years late. I was five years late, but that's when everybody started having one. Yeah. And I started thinking, how is she ever going to like show her kids pictures of her as a kid? Like, is is she going to go into my google photos account and you know yeah. how how is that gonna work right how are we gonna reflect back on decades old pictures um obviously it's possible and you know obviously google and apple have it figured out where they're not gonna lose our pictures hopefully but i just i i like tech i mean yeah. i read all my books digitally i'm not some i haven't held a newspaper i'm not this old school guy that thinks i need to hold it physically um, but I, I couldn't figure out how generations down the road, I love looking at pictures of, of my dad when he was a kid with my grandpa, yeah. you know, and how, how are, how are my grandkids going to do that with my, with my kids? If there's not a book, they're not going to, they're going to like have my phone with an old USB-C outdated uh, charger to ramp it back. I don't, I didn't, I, that, so I started, I order a lot of, of prints from phone pictures yeah. and books from phone pictures. Oh, that's good. 
I did have a moment the other day, though, where I kind of thought, you know, because all the all the time now, especially because we are it it sneaks up on you, but we are the old guys at this point. We are old and curmudgeonly. And so, you know, next thing you know, you're 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 telling the stories about walking uphill both ways to school and like our kids are never going to walk the outside wall of a blockbuster deciding what they want to watch that night, all those things. But some things they change, but they're the same. And so a couple of weeks ago when everything blew up over Ticketmaster, like melting down for Taylor Swift tickets, I'm thinking, oh, well, you guys don't know what it was like to camp out overnight outside of uh, your records. You know, we, our record store down here was peaches and that's where you had to go to get tickets and God help you. If Garth Brooks was coming to town, you could camp out and still not get tickets because you were there for a lotto draw that would determine if you got to buy tickets. So I'm like, I don't want to hear your woes about Ticketmaster right. being down for a little right. while. I'm sorry you can't go see Tay-Tay in a stadium where you won't be able to make out her face from where you're sitting anyways. Right, yeah, yeah. That. Uh, so I, like, I very, I probably, I bet I post on social media my personal stuff. I do. I, I I work with the Blood Origin stuff some, but I probably am a once every seven or eight weeks, and it's usually a picture of the snow or a sunset. Weirdly, that's that's what my thing is. Yeah. And but about three times a year, like I'm a. Uh, I like to think my, of myself as a peaceful anti-government guy, right? <laughs> like. I'm not, I promise you, I'm a really, really long ways from doing anything illegal. It's not who yeah. I am. No. But so I want to, I, I want to, I want to translate that for the listeners. What Cody's saying is he's a, he's an officer in the local chapter of Oath Keepers. That's what I just heard. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, uh, here's the thing there's a lot of the fringe criminal anti government people who other than their actions I'm pretty much in line with. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean there's You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and there's there's a lot of space uh between um you know the sovereign citizen crowd uh and and the just like the uh, the fascists and the anarchists like I just live I live in the space of just leave me alone. I don't want no government. I just don't want enough government to trample my rights. Like, dude, here's the analogy. Here's the analogy for you. All right. What's your, are you, are you a sports guy? What's your favorite sports team? Ah, I'm not, I was a non-traditional okay. sports guy. I grew up racing BMX and I was a swimmer. So, I mean, you know, but okay. David Phelps, okay. Michael Phelps, that's my, that's my team. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the deal. I'm not really that much of a sports guy either, but for some reason I've always been a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Like, I think I genuinely think, do you remember, you may not even be old enough to remember, but there was a Mean Joe Green commercial, or it was a Coca-Cola commercial, and I really think that's why I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> fan, because I was like four or five when that thing was big on TV, and yeah. I think that's, I, I don't really know. Um, But I've never painted my face. Like, to me, that's the analogy yeah. right there, right? Like, I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah. I watch the games. I don't care about the NFL. I just like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like the organization. I love the fact that they've only had four coaches in the last 70 years. Well, you know, I, I just like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. But I've never painted my face. That That's my analogy on, uh, on uh, I think that the government's gotten way too big. Have you ever read the Unabomber's Manifesto? 
Uh, no, but I, I've, I've listened to and, and heard breakdowns. Side note, the Unabomber is physically about two and a half miles from where I'm at that right now. Amazing. You can see the prison that he's in. <laughs> but if you read his manifesto and just scissor out the crazy. Yeah. He's not that crazy. Yeah. You just got to scissor out a little bit of crazy. Other, he's not that crazy. Other than the blowing people up part. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's what I said over and over again. I agree with all of the unit. I, I agree with just about everything Ted Kaczynski said. I just don't agree with the blowing people up. Right. I've never painted my face black and gold for the Steelers. That's yeah. my, that's my, my line in the sand. Yeah. Anyway, this whole thing started with, I cannot believe that we are paying legislators salaries to discuss Taylor Swift concert tickets right now. Like those are the kind of things that push me over the edge, right? That in the, in the constitution, it mandated that Congress met for two weeks out of the year. Uh That's what our founding fathers had in mind was you would hang up the blacksmith apron or the lawyer books for two weeks and you would go to Washington to see if you needed to do anything. Yeah. And, and I, I firmly believe that the vast majority of our social and economic problems are wrapped around our federal government. And it's, it's, it's probably like the people's fault, right? Yeah. Like, it's our fault that we ask them to fix everything. Yeah. Right. And it's not even remotely what, what our founding fathers had in mind or what worked well to make us the greatest country in the world. That, that, that was a decentralization of power um, and letting people not only flourish, but fall on their face a little bit without Washington DC getting involved. Um, Anyway, I don't yeah. know if this is where you want this to go. No, that's the Solomon's Heaven podcast. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Uh, not only is it supposed to go in directions like this, but uh, it's best if we don't remember how we even got on this track, and I don't, and right. so we're right on track Perfect. here. And no, yeah, I'm I'm a firm believer as much as I'm not happy with the state of things, um, that at any given time, regardless of the the political system uh, in, a, in a state, in a country, in a, you know, take your pick, um, we always have exactly the government we deserve. Right, right. It's our fault. Yeah. 100%. That's, but I, I think the same thing in China. A billion people, you have the government you deserve. Because 100%, if you didn't want that government, you could change it. You'd lose some people, but it wouldn't even be significant, like statistically significant. <laughs> uh, and so. Uh, you, get, now, you, you, could, you could make me uh jump on a on a second amendment soapbox here the the chinese people would have a whole lot harder time changing it than we would yeah a no, whole th- lot they'd harder. have to be willing to absorb a, a lot more bullets but you know yeah but they allowed but themselves yeah, you're to get right. to that point well, yeah. no exactly 100% and uh but yeah i i agree with that statement as well i'm also a firm believer i never bought off on the uh on the, I never bought off on the make America great again thing because I still think America is freaking incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's still the, the greatest place in the world to be. And you know what? Somebody out there is going to listen to this and go, well, not for that guy that, 
died from the drinking water in Flint, <laughs> Michigan. I get it. Yeah. There's uh, there's a whole bunch of people. There, not 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 for everybody. Yeah. Everybody has bad times, and there's bad times in this country. But overall, population wise, there's no other country in the world that more people are trying to sneak into. Yeah. And there's no greater an indicator of what's right, wrong, good, bad than the free market. And the free market judgment of nations is where do people try to get to? Yeah. And this is where the rest of the world tries to get to. That's the ultimate indicator. Well, and for everybody, um, everybody right, left, and in between, because no matter who's about to win an election, people on the opposite side say it. If so-and-so wins, I'm leaving. If Trump wins, I'm leaving. If Biden wins, I'm leaving. We've all heard it from all the famous people, and they're all still here. They're all still in the same house yep. they were in when they said it. Because where where are you going to go? There's some nice places to visit. There's nice places to visit, but to live? Uh, and so, uh, right. you know, I, yeah, no, I, I struggle no, with that. No. Uh, we, we were talking about this on, on the podcast here recently. Like, we're nowhere near as free now as we intended, as the founders intended for us to be. Um, but I also, I have the same hangups now that they did over declaring independence in that I don't think we're good enough to be as free as they intended us to be at this point. They worried that we weren't, that we weren't moral enough of a people to govern ourselves and they rolled the dice and it turned out that we were for a while, but I don't think we are now. I don't think we could handle the level of freedom right now that they intended for us to have, because I don't think we're good enough. You know the whole hard men make good times, good times make soft men, that circle. That's literally what I believe. Yeah. Right? That That's what we just roll in cycles. And I think you can actually go back. I have faith that we'll be fine in the long run and I believe that's because I'm a student of history. Like all the things that, I mean, people that I love and respect are convinced that it's doomsday right now because we're letting transgenders compete in women's sports, right? Which I think is absolutely ludicrous and crazy but it's not going to mean the end of our country. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not going to mean the end of I, – I have told my kids, and my daughter is actually the kind that will do this, to call me out if I ever say kids these days. And, and like in a series you – know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm actually like pinned up with frustration about kids these days because it's kids every day. It's kids in – you know, look, look at the roaring 20s. Do you know what that their parents were like? These they're going to ruin the country, you know. And oh, by the way, those were the same people that fought in World War II. Yeah, right. Like that was the greatest generation, actually. And then I think the hippie peace and love movement of the late '60s and '70s, you know, and people saying kids these days, this country's falling apart. Um, I, I truly believe in the ups and downs of the country, and I think it very much comes from that. Hard men, soft men, good times, bad times, um, type of scenario, yeah. and we ha we we do have enough freedom that 
I believe that hard men are going to continue, men and women, meaning hard mankind, are going to come back around and make good times again. Um, and then we'll all get soft again and we'll have bad times. And it's just a, it's just a cycle um, that I don't think you ever break it. I think that's just life, really. But uh, I hope. Yeah. Well, we're, we're about to find out. I, the, the, the parts that worry me is at least for um, what I think has been key to America sustaining freedom and prosperity is I really do think the First and Second Amendment are integral. And if either one falls in any significant way, then then I, I we might not be able to turn the ship around. We'll see. No, I I I, I agree a hundred percent. I I I really think that they all are. You know, it's weird that whatever like the Sixth Amendment is quartering troops or whatever. There's a couple of them that are weird in there. That, but that I I do think right now we're in about this twenty uh, year cycle of ignoring the Tenth Amendment. Um, and it's causing a lot of our problems right now that I think diversity amongst the states, um, you know, the, the, the federal constitutional amendments are gigantic things, mm-hmm. right? Like a hundred percent, I'm behind the fact that the federal government should not allow a state to take away a woman's right to vote, right? That's the thing that the federal government should have gotten involved in and did, um, but, I mean, the Tenth Amendment in layman's terms is basically if it doesn't say in the Constitution that the federal government is in charge of it, it's none of their business, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I, made it, I made it sound more along my lines than, than it really does. But, but uh, to me, that's the one that's honestly – do you think the First Amendment is really even under attack? Uh, it depends. It depends on where you're looking. And, and so – Things like obviously First Amendment rights and Twitter, you know, that's big in the news right now. Um, so I, I understand in a in a head knowledge sense that it, it the First Amendment's a restriction on the federal government and not on private entities. And so Twitter saying you can't have an account, Facebook saying you can't have an account, does not violate my First Amendment rights. But it's where it's gotten tricky is it has so become the de facto town square where if you can't speak free, freely there, um, it does feel a lot like not having free speech. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see where things, where things go with Elon. But I, I, I do think there are, um, you know, a significant number of politicians in Washington that would love to see us have hate speech laws like England like Canada and the kind of speech that they're fining people for there's, there's prison sentences for is the only speech that needs protection. Like there is no such thing as hate. I mean, there is such a thing as hate speech. Um, it just shouldn't be banned. Like that's abhorrent speech is the only speech that needs protection. No, absolutely. It it makes complete sense. And I will say that I, that when you get into, um, higher education, is the one place because I'm, I'm, I'm really a literalist about the whole thing in the sense that I, I think Twitter has the right to say, if you don't have a beard, you can't have an account. Yeah. Right. They're a private company. I think they have a right to do whatever they want to do. I agree. Um, and I know that there's all kinds of people that I, I get it, but I just not what I think. 
when you get into government-funded and government-backed higher education, state schools specifically, um, I think there's definitely some problems there. Um, but I see people standing up to it, man. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I, I think it, that that is very much a, uh, I think that everyone forgot the phrase sticks and stones, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they forgot it was because we had such good times. Yeah. And we made a bunch of soft men, man, mankind. I'm going to get this is this is a gender safe zone here <laughs> i'm going to get uh but and and i think that that higher education is the thing that scares me um i also i i see good things too man i mean i i, I promise you that i go through my moments of apprehension but there's a whole lot of people i went to this murder mystery party like 4 weeks ago that my wife drug me to and i can tell you like if you said, hey, Cody, would you rather be kicked in the balls by a mule or go to a murder mystery party with a bunch of strangers? I would have to I would it would take some contemplation for yeah. me to get you an answer. My wife asked me nicely. She said, these are some people I work with. It's a thing, where, it's a, you know, and I, I did it and it was fine and it was fun. But it was. All right, I'm, I'm going to stereotype people and then I'm going to chastise myself for it. When you walked into the room. It was in Den- it was in Denver. Yeah. Okay. And very much. It was a Denver. It was a Denver kind of aesthetic. All right. And so blood blood origins. We do a lot of work with uh, with the hunting industry in Africa, and the and it's a thing, right? right? And someone asked, someone said to me, "Hey, Cody, I knew I know you just hunted South Africa. What is there another country you want to go to?" And I said. I really want to go to Tanzania. And there was this one incredibly intelligent, beautiful woman who really hadn't said a whole lot through the night, um, happened to be uh, British, like was is working over here for a British company. And man, did I set her off, right? Like the thought of it and I will say she was cordial, but she could not hide how hard she was fighting to control her emotions, yeah. right? And everyone else in the room, in a really calm and cool way, I don't think any of them, I, I, would, I would bet you a thousand cash, none of them have ever listened to Blood Origins podcast. Like it wasn't that crew, right? Yeah. Every single one of them came back to her with just good, solid facts about the conservation, the economic benefits, the growing wildlife populations. And to me, that's the good in the Internet. Yeah. Right. Is prior to the Internet, you either believed the extreme on this side or the extreme on this side because it was really the only ones that spent the money to propagandize to you, right? Yeah. And the folks in the middle who were actually doing the work and the good and trying to find a proper balance, they were working to do the thing as opposed to putting up billboards and running late-night infomercials, right? Yeah. 
Um, and that, that's, a, that's another thing that helps me stay positive and keep the faith about this country is like, I love Wikipedia, right? I know it has mistakes. I know it has flaws, but I believe Wikipedia is the single greatest source of inf- single greatest source of information in the world. Some of it's wrong, but it's getting corrected on a daily basis because human beings deep down actually want the truth. Yeah. Now, a whole bunch of us don't act like that because we're getting our truth from one side or the we're getting information that we deem our truth from one side or the other. But it was this cool thing, man. I'm just telling you, I ended up having a blast. The murder mystery was fun. I was sorry about the attitude. I'm sorry about the attitude I went into it with. But and I'm also sorry that I kind of looked at these folks and thought, oh, I hope somebody doesn't bring up guns or hunting. And I, I was wrong. I was wrong, right? And I and uh, and it was totally my fault for being the old man in the group that thought. And it was so freaking cool um, that by the end of it, and the cool, the great thing was by the end of it. She was by no means ever going to hunt or happy that I did. But there was a whole lot of good information put in front of her. Um, that's that's what we do at Blood Origins, yeah. right? Is just go, hold on a second. Not all hunters are Duck Dynasty. And there's a ton of good environmental and con- conservation-based work being done in the name of it. Um and it's so cool that the internet provides the opportunity to prove that to people. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, speaking of your upbringing in Kansas, which is where we... <laughs> uh, uh, so, uh, growing up in Kansas, you're, you're there forever. Uh, where, where did the Marine Corps come in? Was that right after high school? Was that later? Uh, I have six weeks of junior college. So, that was the gap. That's enough. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. It was exactly enough. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I think I was a little bit of an anomaly. Not, not, I mean, I wasn't anything, I got to say some things that are going to sound egotistical, but I mean, I was a four sport letterman, uh, 4.0 student. I was president of student council in a, and I mean, we had a graduating class of 425. Um, you know, and I mean, like I was, uh, I was headed to KU, the Kansas University pre-law, and really about eighth grade decided that that I was going to be a lawyer, and and uh, and if that didn't work out, I was going to be a cop. My dad was a, my dad was a police officer for forty eight years. Um, he was the chief of police in my hometown for twenty eight years. Dang, um, and. 26 years, maybe in some way that doesn't matter, but I just, uh, man, about halfway through my senior year, I just got like, I hated it. I hated, I hated the whole concept of it. I didn't get what I was doing. Um, so I went to the local community college because I was smart enough to know that if I enrolled at KU, that it was just going to be nothing but beer and partying. Um, and that's exactly what community college was, but I was able to live in my, <laughs> with my, it was, it was cheap. It was a cheaper version. Right. Um, and about six, eight weeks in, um, 
I just, I walked into the recruiting office and just said, how fast can you get me out of here? And it wasn't, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to say it was some mature, deep rooted desire to serve my country, which, which I did. And I love that part and I'm, and that's, that's the part that I'm proud of. Um, but it, I just had this epiphany that I was pissing my life away and I kind of thought that I could go do it and get a little bit of a paycheck and maybe experience the world a little bit. Like that's yeah. the, that's all it was. And, and, uh, you know, pr- I mean, phenomenal experience. Um, I had a daughter and blew a knee all within about a six month time frame. or, I mean, my, my intention was to retire. I mean, I loved it. There wasn't anything about it. Um, I was in a, I was in a special, in the, Special op in the reconnaissance community. I was in Marine Recon Unit. Um, I also the Marine Corps also has this thing. I don't know if they still do it, but at, at at about your four year mark, they send you to what's called a B billet, which is you either go to become a recruiter or you go to the drill field or you go do some. And that was weighing on me. I, I just wanted to do what I was doing. Yeah. Um, plus, I blew a knee, and I'm by no means am I saying had a daughter was a bad thing. It was a great thing for my life, but it made me think about, I didn't think I was tough enough to go on a deployment as a dad. I just, I didn't, yeah. but that's why I went. I mean, I kind of, and I went to the Marine Corps and drank a lot and partied, right? It wasn't like I grew up and got mature. I just thought that that would be a better place to do it. And and I was spot on, man. I mean, maybe the greatest uh the greatest like career based choice I ever made was to go be an infantryman in the Marines and just grow up a little bit in that environment. Yeah. So what time, what time frame are we talking there? That would have been uh what, like 93 to 97, 94 to 98, somewhere in there. 90, 94, 98. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you got in there right in between all the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. And, 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 you know, there's a, there's a, uh, That's a weird thing, right? It's it it's a it's a it's a strange thing. I mean, what are you about? What what am I about that? Am I am I happy about that or am I pissed off about that? And literally just depends on the minute of the day. Yeah. Well, and it's I think things like that are always a dichotomy. I mean, you know, we're we're big fans of the podcast here of, you know, of course, uh, Jacko fuel, we're an affiliate and big fans of Jacko and, uh, you know, guys like Jack Carr and there's, there's plenty of prior service guys kind of out there in, in the ether now in these podcast circles and, you know, books and television and everything else. And it's, but you'll hear these guys talking about, about it. And it's, you never hear anybody who's been through war describe it as anything other than hell. Uh, you know, and, and Jocko, particularly with his literature degrees and, and background, he's really, he looks like a, a gorilla, but he's a really eloquent guy. It's just like, you know, it's, uh, I never want to go back and I want to go back right now. You know, like I never want to do it again. And I'd go back tomorrow if you'd let me kind of thing. And it's, you know, I think when that's something you're, you're training to do one, it's like you want maybe to test those skills or at least put those skills to use. And, you know, especially the age you were in, of course, you were invincible. If you had deployed, of course, you would have lived forever anyways, because that's how that goes, right? Uh, right. So, yeah, it's it's an odd thing to be like, dang, I missed it. And also going, I, I missed it, you know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's um, 
I'm, uh, I really don't live with regret. Um, even, and that does not mean that I haven't royally things up many, many times in my life. I have. Um, and I think just, you know, I think some of it's a, it's a, a faith-based thing. Some of it is my family. Like I have this incredibly, uh, I mean, like I've really screwed things up, not, not like normal screwed things up, but I've really jacked things up in my life a time or two. Um, and I think when you just have people that, first of all, if you try not to do that, and it bothers you when you do screw things up. But if you have that group of people behind you that are like, yeah, we got it. You know, it, ma- it makes it easier, right? Yeah. It's also some of that comes from faith with me. Um, and some of it comes from my family and the people around me and friends. But the, I have, I, that's, that's a thing for me is, is I don't think I regret it getting out, right? The getting out part. Um, but there's times when I think maybe I regret it. Yeah. And, uh, so my, my, my best friend in the world, if, if anyone that's listening to this listens to the blood origins podcast, Daryl Carver's on every once in a while with us. And Daryl and I literally me from Kansas, him from Salt Lake, having never met, stepped on the yellow footprints at boot camp together, went to the school of infantry together, went to the basic reconnaissance course together, deployed to the middle East together, um, one of the greatest honors of my life is his son's named after me. Um, and on November 20th of 2004, he, uh, he had a bad day in Fallujah. And when I'm sitting around just being the astute amateur philosopher that I am, that's a, I, I should have been there, right? By no means is that I would have turned the day around, but nothing. I mean, I've screwed things up. I've messed up my kids. I've, I've done a whole lot of things. That's the only thing in my life that I can't like reconcile as I'm on this quest to not regret things in my yeah. life that, that I was probably sitting in a duck blind somewhere when he, he took couple grenades and seven AK rounds in Fallujah and I'm trying to call a mallard in or something. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's, that's it, man. I mean, everything else I've done, I, I admit my mistakes, but I think if you approach those things correctly, you cannot fester with regrets, but that day gets to me and I wonder if I should have stayed in. And then I look at my kids and I think I got, I got great kids. Me being there had to be a little bit of a part of that. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a thing I, that spins around in my head and I'm kind of an egotistical prick that thinks he knows right and wrong. And I have an answer for everything. I'm that guy. Um, but that one gets me. Yeah, no, that's tough. What, uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories from guys that, um, either went the sniper route or, uh, you know, ended up in, in force recon that a, a lot of times I feel like there was not always, uh, for sure. Um, but we're hunting backgrounds. Was that kind of the case for you? What kind of drew you that direction? Like sometimes, like if you've grown up a hunter, you, it's not a big leap for you to understand like a sniper stock and, you know, or a ghillie suit and, you know, the concepts that are involved in those things. 
Um, was that kind of the case for you or recon just sounded fun? Uh, so I, I had an uncle that was a corpsman that was a Navy corpsman, um, with, uh, first Marine recon in uh, Vietnam was really my, that, and then, uh, heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood, yeah. which Marine reconnaissance can take credit as having the worst military movie ever. That is awesome. At the same time made about us. Right. Um, Backstory on that. Did you know Eastwood wrote that movie to be an army movie and the army told him the script had too much cussing in it and the Marine Corps said, let's do this. That sounds, That's a side note. That sounds about right. <laughs> but uh, no, I, it, I didn't have a clue, man. I, I didn't have a clue. I, I knew when I went into the recruiter, there was no such thing as guaranteed anything back then, right? right. There's guaranteed recon now. Right. Where you're going to you're gonna, if, if you don't make it, you can get out. Yeah. Right. And I told the recruiter that I wanted to be infantry. And he looked at me and said, do real good in boot camp. So you have some say in that. Right. And I knew that I wanted to be infantry because why the hell else would I get like, why would this is no knock, man? Every every member of the military is just as important as any other member. A hundred percent. I if I was going to be a truck driver, I could go make real money being a truck driver. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, that was my mindset on it, that if, if I wasn't going to do infantry, why was I going to put up with all this? B um, and then when we were at the school of infantry, um, I, had re I had an uncle that I remembered him talking about reconnaissance Marines, but none of that was in my brain when I enlisted or when I was in, when I was in a uh, boot camp. and at SOI, they came up and said, Hey, if you're standing out in the parking lot at four o'clock in the morning on Saturday, they're going to run the recon indoctrination. I didn't even know what that was, right? Yeah. I just thought, you know, I don't have a car, so what the hell else am I going to do on Saturday, right? Right. Um, and so uh, 80 of us showed up out on the parking lot at our school of infantry class, and three of us finished the NDOC, Daryl Carver included. Here, okay, here we go. I'm on a roll talking too much tonight. It was me, Daryl Carver, and a kid named Jason T. Reddy. No one's going to believe this, so everybody get ready to get Google. <laughs> Jason T. Reddy was, uh, maybe it was Pew Research. Someone named Jason T. Reddy, I believe, the 2014 Domestic Terrorist of the Year. He, uh... He was Daryl and I's roommate for a year. He passed the indoc with us. We reported to recon together. The three of us, we lived in a barracks room, you know, that's the size of my master bathroom now um, for a year together. He got kicked out. He stole a 50 cal from the Marine Corps, went to the, went to Arizona and became, remember when there was a bunch of guys guarding the border that, yes. you know, yeah. That that put face paint on for their sports teams. That's who these guys were, right? Like they crossed the line. Yeah. Um and and uh he actually got into like some neo-Nazi stuff. And then get this, man. I'm I'm sorry for sidetracking you so bad, but he fell in love with an illegal and had a baby with her. With a with a with an with a Mexican a woman. Um, this would seem to, this would seem to be in contrast with the rest of his beliefs and actions. Well, 
it messed him up in the head so much that he killed her, her entire family. I think it, I think it ended up being eight people oh before he gosh. killed her. He was the eighth. Yeah. This guy was my roommate. This was Daryl and I's roommate for a year, Jason T. Reddy. Anyway, I don't know what the hell that has to do with anything. This, this is all because you and Daryl wouldn't let him into the friend group, man. He wasn't in the yeah, circle. We, we, and We honestly did kind of keep him out on the edge because <laughs> he was uh, – he was, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of red flag laws, but if you knew Jason T. Reddy, you would be like, okay, let's talk about these red flag laws real quick. <laughs> Just fast. Cause, yeah. cause this, this may be not a, uh, but yeah, you can Google Jason Reddy. And, uh, I was roommates with that guy for a year. Dang, man. We had a guest on one time that, uh, a guy had just been, uh, popped for like colluding with and or spying for. Uh, the Chinese at like Harvard or something. Well, it turns out one of my regular guests, her dad's a doctor and this guy was like his chem lab partner. Like they used to be like super tight, but I, yeah, I, I yeah. think Jason, I think Jason, uh, uh, Mr. Reddy, I think he, he tops the Chinese espionage. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yeah. Crazy, crazy deal, man. And it, looking back, like, you know, it, he said a lot of things, like he was about as politically incorrect as you could get. And at the time, you know, when you, when you're 19, we just, even though he was annoying and we, we, we didn't really like him, we thought he was just being funny. Yeah. And I mean, turns out there was some seriousness in some of the things that he was saying. And, uh, it's a fine line you walk there, but yeah, yeah. He, uh, stole a stole a ma deuce 50 cal or the i think the barrel of one the marine corps kicked him out and then that sent him on a spiraling path so so long that's weird i don't i'm sorry i don't, I don't know what brought that up hey uh, hey they're they're but the late but by the uh, grace of god right i mean at least you chose to separate otherwise who knows maybe you would have been down on the border with the face paint on yeah yeah no i don't think so I don't think so. I'm uh Yeah, he was weird. That that all went that all went really bad. So, uh, hunting always part of your life. You you grew up hunting? And my whole internet went down. Like every all the internet's down in my house. I'm on my cell phone. Is this Dang. does this work? Yeah, this works. Okay. That's amazing. I'm back. I'm ready. If this is working, I'm back and ready. Yeah, this will work. So, it might just um you said so hunting always a part of your life. And then weirdly it came across like seven times because my computer was trying to get it down <laughs> to me, but that's where, that's where I lost. All it. right. Yeah. Let's pick it up from there. Y yeah. So my dad, uh, my dad, like, I think my dad worked really hard to do the best to be, my dad was a duck hunter. Like that's what he did. Yeah. Um, you know, we did other things. Um, looking back, I'm pretty convinced that he was just like trying to be well-rounded, but he wished we were just in the duck blind. Um, but yeah, it was our, it was our thing. And then, uh, you know, when I got old enough to, to drive, which growing up in Kansas, when you, when you hit 14, everybody just drove everywhere, you know? So, um, you know, started skipping school and doing a lot of, a lot of hunting and fishing. Yeah. I, I've just always loved to be out, out in it. Um, and I, I never liked, uh, like for some reason I hate hiking. Like, I don't like to just go hike. 
But if you want to go do something, whether it's set a trail cam or cut firewood or go scout a place for hunting, I don't mind walking around in the woods. Um, but the concept of, hey, let's just go for a hike, to me, it's kind of like going to the gym, man. Like, why would I spend money to go move around a bunch of weight that doesn't need to be moved, right? Yeah. Like, that concept to me is incredibly foreign and I can't process it. Yeah. Um, hence, I'm not in that great a shape, but I'll go hike with you in the mountains as long as you want to, you know, if it's not, not for the sake of doing it, but I'll make up a reason, yeah. you know, I want to go see if there's any elk sign over on this mountain, two ridges over and let's go walk over there and see. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And to me, I think that was my, um, when people at, at blood origins, we talk a lot about your, why, why do you hunt? Um, and mine is I want to participate, right? I, I don't want to spectate nature. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that that's how humans participate, um, in nature. Um, and I don't know, it's just, so I've always been drawn to it. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, my dad was taking me to the duck blind when I was four and five years old. So up through, you know, like post Marines up through blood origins, kind of what'd you get into after that? Like, uh, prior to blood origins has, was hunting always hobby and something else was, was work or. Um, I got out of the Marine Corps and got a job with Coke industries, K O C H, um, Charlie and David Coke, big libertarians too. Um, that company's actually based in Wichita, Kansas. I worked in the gas fields for a while, and then I started a hunting guide service. Um, and quite honestly, I consider that to be like my uh, my business degree. I screwed up the the business side of that bad. Um, to the point that in, in a three-year period, I went from a Marine Corps paycheck to almost a million dollars a year coming in in an outfitting and, and business, um, which all seems, especially in 1999, yeah. um, all seems, uh, it was bad, like, right? Like, so I just spent it. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. <laughs> I'm like, there'll be more checks tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and, and I screwed it up. All right. Like I, I, I'm saying that because the lead in is, um, on September 11th of 2001, um, I was a few days out from, you know, about a hundred to $150,000 worth of deer hunters starting to come in who all of a sudden couldn't get on their airplanes. Right. So uh, listen, it's super important to me that I am not blaming any bit of the failure of this business on, on nine 11, I'm saying that was the trigger that pointed out how poorly I was managing. Yeah. Right. Um, and then from there, I think I realized that I was better at selling and marketing things than I was actually, you know, like running a production based business. And my, uh, my first wife was a web designer um, and I kind of, we kind of turned her web design skills into an advertising agency and a, a very small, um, mainly digital based advertising agency. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, like uh, 
very like got really really lucky on the social media thing right like really lucky but like i joined twitter in 2006 um and at that time like literally maybe 10 people in hutchinson kansas had ever heard of twitter right um we made a here's here's how early on we were we made a lot of money helping people who started their business as a person on facebook you know, you, you remember that when like, and then their business got real successful, but they were capped at 5,000 friends for their business and they couldn't grow their business. <laughs> right. On, yeah. On, so that's, um, yeah. That, and then I, then I kind of, um, again, it wasn't cause I was good at it. It was because I was early. Um, but I flew all over the country, man, went to the 92nd street Y in New York city and, and, uh, spoke at the 140 conference um because somebody thought that i knew what i was talking about with social media marketing we spoke to five thousand people in new york city with you know incredibly famous people on the stage with me and i did not belong there and and uh so we did that then we sold that advertising agency um and i, I became a consultant i i realized that what i really liked doing was helping people grow their thing yeah um and, uh, yeah, it's still basically, I mean, that was the whole Robbie thing. Robbie and I were in a, in a, I, I was working for a medical device startup. Um, friend of mine, Daryl, a guy that he served with, um, in ninth Marine started a bear outfitting business in Maine. We went up there on a bear hunt and Robbie was in camp. Um, and somebody said, Hey, have you seen his, he's got some YouTube videos. Um, and I went and watched them on the internet at bear camp. Um, and I thought no one else is doing this. And, and the reason no one else is doing it is not because Robbie had a completely an utterly unique idea, right? There's the reason that people aren't telling meaningful stories with emotions about why people hunt is because it's very complicated and hard to fund it, right? Yeah. Like, like if as soon as, um, I'll pick on I'll pick on Kuyu because I'm a gigantic fan. As soon as Kuyu puts their name and it's and it's Kuyu presents Blood Origins, which is not a thing that that we've been offered multiple times by multiple brands to buy the buy the buy the name, yeah. But you lose a. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how genuine or how completely authentic you are. If everybody has the same camo on, a little tiny bit of that authenticity or a whole bunch of that authenticity goes away. It just does. And Robbie knew that from the get go. And I said to him in in nineteen at that at that bear camp, I'm like, man, I go, you're doing something that's needed here. People need to see. This is what hunting needs. Um, but how are you funding this? And he's like, I'm just burning through my savings because I refuse to sell out to anyone. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think you had to sell out. <laughs> it took like 18 months for him to kind of let me in of me just going, look, let me just start pitching you ideas. Cause I think there's ways to do this where you can fund this. Um, and we've had a lot of weird meetings, man, where we've set with big companies who wanted to give us big checks. Yeah. And I look them right in the eye and say, "Hey, look, I'm 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 never going to wear your camo. 
because it's not who we are. Yeah. And then we don't get the damn check, right? Right. And I, I don't blame them either. Yeah. I, don't, I don't blame the marketing VP. You know, if he doesn't get what he wants, he shouldn't write us a check. I wish that he was also wanting what we're doing for the hunting industry too and maybe throw some money behind it. But yeah, so that's 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 my path is I became a consultant um, and hopefully was able to take some of those skills and experience and and uh, apply them to blood origins and and uh, grow it a little bit. Well, something's working, man, because I can tell you, I, uh, I sit and every time I'm listening to the podcast, I sit and covet the uh the big name sponsors <laughs> when when the ads run i'm like dang i mean listen go ruck i love you jocko fuel origin usa i love you i love uh, my affiliate programs total twins but i mean hey sig sour uh, you know show your boy some love <laughs> and you know sig sour was uh so six hours a, a huge partner of blood origins and uh we had that meeting, man. We had that meeting and, and they were like, we want to do this, 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 and this. And we're like, well, you know, we're not going to tell everyone. Now I'll tell you this on your podcast. I own every model of six hour pistol ever made. And I think they're the best pistols in the world. And I would take my beat up 20 year old six hour P226 over any Glock in the world. That's just who I am personally. I think they're the greatest pistols ever made and they fit my hand. But we told them straight up, we're not going to tell people that it's not who Blood Origins is. You've you've got to, you know, and it's in, it, kudos to them, right? Because yeah. they're like, that's not why we're doing this. Yeah. Now they were they're not so noble that they're like, you don't ever have to mention that we ever like they they want some they want their their accolades for being a partner of Blood Origins, but cool is that they. We told them their program because we've run a lot of big names off, man. A lot of them who have yeah. been like, no, you're all going to have to switch to our boots. Well, we're not going to. Right. And we're also not going to tell our listeners to because not because we don't love your boots, but because the second we do, you know, we, we just really feel like the message that we're trying to get across um, gets diluted a little bit. Yeah. Well, and you know, you would hope that they would see the the value and the association with the mission and what you guys are doing. But then also, like, it it's a shame that it's not enough for some of these guys just to be like, "We'll say, we'll read your ad copy. We'll say you make great boots. If I put them on and I like them, I'll wear them. If I put them on and I don't like them, I'm not going to wear them. But we'll read right. we'll read your ad copy, and you'll get the goodwill of the community saying that you're supporting what we're doing." The biggest, the biggest problem that most of them have with us, not all of them, is we also will tell Sig Sauer that the second Glock wants to become a partner and they agree with our philosophies and they agree with our program and the ways that we're doing it, we're, we're going to have them on. They're, they're coming on. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's another big one, right? That it takes a cool – we did this project where uh, the Wyoming Wildlife Federation – we were talking to them and they were having trouble with money to come up with to launch their statewide hunters for the hungry program. So we're like, all right, that's a, that's a thing. We, we like that. We can get behind that. Um, and the sponsors of that were Kuyu stone glacier and another backpack company. Right. 
like the three big competitors in mountain backpacking. Yeah. Right. And we told all of them like, Hey, guess what? This is going to be the other one. We actually think it's cool that you came together with your two biggest competitors. You each threw, you know, some, some five figure checks in. Um, and we got this thing up and running and crowdfunded the rest of it. We, I think that's cool. as Yeah. Right. But a lot of marketing people would have been like, Whoa, no, we're, we're not, we're not doing that. And, and the, the great, the, I, I do think that the, that the quote unquote good old boy world is easier to do that in. Yes. Right. Like I, I, I think, I think that your, your outdoors, your hunters, your shooters, um, are more like, yeah, we don't care. That's a good cause. Let's, let's do that. Right. Um, but that's, uh, that's the the wall like Robbie unfortunately when he started it those were the walls he was he was hitting the wrong people and maybe maybe presenting it to them the wrong way and then the other cool thing we do man is our is our our supporters program is the coolest thing ever yeah. where it's 3 bucks 3 bucks a month is the minimum um and you know it it's 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 amazing like we 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 pretty much pay the bulk of our logistic and administrative expenses off of our supporters program. That's awesome. And then we have, so what we do is if you're in our supporters program, it is a sweepstakes, no purchase necessary, but every month we do a drawing and of all the people in the supporters program and do a giveaway. And we literally have companies from all over the world calling us and offering stuff for that giveaway. Dude, they, and, the and giveaways are legit. I mean, it's, I know it, it this, Some of them you're not, crazy. this is not a Starbucks gift card that you're getting in this drawing every month. I mean, this is, no, no, no. We, I mean, we've done elk hunts. We've done Argentinian hunts. Um, we've done custom knives, custom rifles. Um, yeah, you know, it's, and, and I'm telling you, man, the coolest thing in the world, I've never had this as a sales and marketing person is people we have the, all of the giveaways slotted through December of 23 because people keep calling us and saying, man, we love what you're doing. Um, you know, we can't throw a bunch of money behind it, but we'll, we'll throw one of these into your supporters program. That's and, insane. And, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Now what's, you know, if I've got listeners that, that didn't catch Robbie when he was on the podcast, what's, uh, what's your elevator, not pitch, but explanation. Somebody's like, Oh, what is blood origins? I, I'm sure you have a boiled down answer. So what is your boiled down answer? Um, I, my boiled down answer is we're a public relations firm for hunters. We're and and our mission is to convey the truth about hunting. Okay. Um, now that's a, that to me is kind of a, you know, a fluffy, what does that really mean? Mission statement, honestly. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's spot on. It just takes two sentences of explanation yeah. after it, I think. Um, the thing that I always fall back on is I think the Robertson family is geniuses. I own a bunch of their duck calls, but duck dynasty is not a representation of the bulk of hunters in the world as, as you know, and if the show's hilarious, man, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking the show, but a bunch of goofy rednecks, which the, the is that, you know, don't, 
take anything in life seriously. That's kind of how that show was recorded. And those aren't those people. They're insanely good businessmen. Yeah. And, you know, they're smart. I was going to say, it's, but, it's not even rep- not representative of hunters. It's not representative of the Robertsons. There was, right. you know, their, their principles, their morals, their, their hobbies, those things were represented, but that wasn't their, the day in and day out of their life. And they couldn't be as successful if they are as they are, if it was. Right. John Bear is an auctioneer from Utah who, if there's a big hunting fundraiser happening in an auction, John's probably doing it. I mean, that's kind of become his niche. Um, And John said one time that people don't understand that we only have animals to hunt because we hunt. And if I could, if I could figure out a way, like if it didn't sound so stupid, I would make our mission statement be, to get people to understand that we only have animals to hunt because we hunt. Yeah. And, and there's, it's like this super simple, almost seems like a superficial statement, but that's what it is. Um, Hunters saved wildlife in this country right now, market hunters and government hunters and people commercially hunting also nearly completely ruined wildlife in this country. That's absolutely true. But those were not people, there's a totally different world, right? Like going out and shooting 2000 Buffalo in a day and just taking the hides has absolutely nothing to do with the legal hunting that happens in the United States. now. Yeah. Um, it's two separate actions. Um, and to get people to just understand that, you know, that, the North American wildlife management model. Um, I mean, it's maybe, maybe the greatest success story in the history of government. You know what I mean? Like this is a really bad situation and here's how we're going to fix it. All funded by hunters Yeah, and hunters and shooters, you know, with the, and, and, uh, you know, the, 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 it's it's amazing to me how little people understand and the assumptions that people make. Um, and then we do it internationally, which is, it's crazy that the team of people that we have, what, what we pull off sometimes, but uh, Robbie just, Robbie just got back from, from 16 days in Africa filming projects over there in three different countries. Well, and I, you know, I said it when, when Robbie was on the, uh, I mean, I love the podcast and you guys do a great job with it, but the, the video packages really stand out. I mean, they're on par with anything, uh, you know, any Netflix documentary, anything that's on, on discovery. Uh, you know, I, I think I probably said it when Robbie's on, I feel like the only thing you guys are missing is micro narration. (laughs) I know. to be honest, man, that's what drew me to it. The, the message obviously was the biggest draw, but then I'm like, listen, man, I've made a lot of video, not made. I've been, I've overseen a lot of commercial video being made and you're spending money to do this. Okay. You may have got the first one. You found some kid out of college, but he didn't do it again for you for free. Cause there's a lot of time in what you're doing yeah. here. And that's, that's when I said to him, how are you paying for this? Right. Because I knew that it doesn't, you can't do that much content of that high quality. No one's going to do that for free for that long. Yeah. Right. 
I mean, and no one was doing it for free. Robbie was cashing out his savings. Um, so, but yeah, I agree, man. And that's, that's why I think it, he, he, he made this perfect storm of his over the top, insane passion. Um, he's also just a pain in the ass <laughs> on a video shoot, man. And, and, and like, I can't stand being around it, but that attention to detail and the demand for it is what makes the, that content so good. Yeah. You know? Um, and he, he, he created this perfect storm of content that just needed, it just needed somebody behind it trying to figure out how to not, not, uh, sacrifice principles, but at the same time, not run Robbie and his wife and two boys into the poorhouse. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, you know, if Robbie listens to this, I'm, I'm not hitting on you, buddy, I promise. But, um, like whatever X factor is Robbie's got that too. Like Robbie hips individually himself is, is compelling to watch and listen to. That might be some of, uh, Americans being suckers for a good accent. Um, but I think his, oh. I, I, his, his, his knowledge um, you know, for him being able to speak so intelligently to things, being so genuine, the accent doesn't hurt, but his passion just absolutely comes through, whether it's over the microphone in the podcast or over the camera uh, on video stuff. Um, and that's just, you can't buy that and you really can't teach it to some extent. It's either there or it's not. And that's such a great asset to have in these projects. Yeah, absolutely. The accent, the accent is part of it. You know, it does it. And, and, uh, Robbie's from, from, uh, was born in South Africa for anyone that's wondering, but, uh, and then you take his background, you know, I mean, he, he, he was the chief science officer behind the deep water horizon recovery, right? Like the dude knows wildlife biology. Oh, and also he's from Africa. So he knows you know, biology and ecosystems on this whole other gigantic level. Oh, and when he was at Mississippi State as a professor, the bulk of his students were in the kind of a game warden track, like a whole, a whole, and and his grandpa, you know, is, I I, I don't want to like over exaggerate, but I mean, his grandpa is, is, wrote a book about his worldwide hunting exploits um in the literal heyday you know in the his his grandpa was hunting africa in in that group of people that inspired hemingway to go to africa yeah. right um and yeah so just a just a perfect storm of stuff that came together and i was incredibly fortunate to be persistent and pushing him that I wanted to be involved. Well, and what's cool though, is like with, with all those accolades, right. Robbie's super approachable. Like he doesn't ever lead with, uh, with the doctorate, right. It's, it's never call me Dr. Kroger. It's never like, uh, it's not that, um, you know, that intellectual beat down is not that I'm going to use the big words to show you how smart I am. Not that he doesn't come across as intelligent. That's not the point, but it's just, uh, I feel like he just kind of leads with humility. And that's one of the things I appreciate so much on the podcast in particular is, you know, the tagline, we want to convey the truth in hunting. You, you know, 
all of the hunting community's laundry is hanging out on the line on the podcast with you guys. You'll have on people that don't agree with you. You'll have on people from the hunting community that have different views on, uh, you know, whether it's quote unquote trophy hunting, whether or not it's, you know, high fence operations. You guys aren't, aren't at all afraid of an opposing view or opinion, uh, but aren't, aren't jerks about it. It's not, you know, it's not like it's a, uh, you know, a news network beat down where you have a guest on just so you can beat them up. It's nothing like that. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right about Robbie. He's a he's a humble dude um, for the knowledge that's in his brain. Um, and I really do mean that if you listen to the podcast, every time he says some he said something the other day. Hyper genetic plasticity. And I'm like, shut the hell up, man. What does that mean? <laughs> But and he he's not like that at all. Yeah. He, but he knows those words, but he does not um, come across like him knowing those words makes him any better of a person. Um, you know what you just talked about there is a is a genuine uh, conundrum for me sometimes because we get accused. There's this one particular account on the internet um, that's a really cool hunting account. Like I I love their stuff. Um, but they bash us a fair amount for like, uh, being soft, right? Like, like, because we have people on that disagree with us and we treat them with respect. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't, uh, if you've listened in the, if, if people that have listened in the last couple of months will have heard me kind of try to deal with this some that I mean I'm not not you know I'm just a fat old man now but I've never been afraid to punch somebody in the mouth I mean I I, you know um and you know a couple times it's gone wrong and I've got my ass kicked over the deal but I'd still punch him in the mouth you know I'll stand up and and fight to the end for something I believe in but there's just no doubt in my mind, you know, whatever the silly honey versus I, like if, if you, if you treat people with respect, it's amazing how many people come out of our podcast, not hunters. We do nothing to try and ever convince someone that's not a hunter or is against hunting to become a hunter. We just want them to see that we're not just bloodthirsty killers who cut the heads off yeah. right that's not even remotely what the north american hunting community is really any of the international hunting community either we just want them to see the truth um and we've had them just go eight on us you know i mean just yelling at us we had this incredible young lady from africa college student age she was in college um to become a some form of a wildlife biologist from, from, I mean, from Africa, right. Got on the podcast and I I think she was like in her third year of college, like when we were a junior in college and she, we went back and forth. Um, You could tell she was trying to be nice. She made this statement. She, she like her, her, her blood was starting to boil. And she made this statement, we know you guys come, we know you Americans come to Africa to hunt because you've killed off all your game over there and have nothing left to hunt. 
And when you look at it, like, and she was totally in a hundred percent, like in her mind, she knew that to be the truth. Right. Right. And there's nothing further from the truth. Like, I mean, we, we kill more white tailed deer with cars in the United States on accident. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not remotely a true statement. And Robbie and I both just kind of said, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. And we just started bombarding her with emails. Yeah. We, we, we bombarded her with emails of data and statistics that, you know, and then by the end of it, I, I'll tell you right now, this young lady is never going to hunt, but she had a completely different perception of American hunters. She was still against American hunters going to Africa and shooting their animals. But she, but now it was based on facts and she had a level of respect that was not high, but it was more, more than it was prior to yeah. that. And it was just because we kept our calm and, and presented some facts to her. Right. Well, and that's something else that's a really cool aspect um, about what you guys do in the space, because I, I think you're very approachable to, to non-hunters. I don't know that you even have to be interested or curious about trying hunting or becoming a hunter yourself to enjoy, be intrigued by, or learn from the blood origins content in that, um, you know, whereas like there, there's big names out there in the space that ha have gained some more traction just because of exposure from, you know, most, uh, Joe Rogan's what comes to mind. Like if it wasn't for Joe Rogan, I probably wouldn't know who Cam Haynes is, or I probably wouldn't know who Steve Rinella is or have ever seen meat eat or anything like that. Um, and I think those, um, their content's great. It's okay. I just don't know how approachable that is to, I don't know how approachable their content is to non-hunters. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to necessarily sit and watch, you know, meat eater and be entertained by it. Whereas, um, you know, lots and lots of your podcasts where it, it's just, it's good conversation. It's, it's intellectual, it's educational from one side or the other. Uh, and I just think it's so approachable to non hunters, which is so cool because that's, that's really, you know, with hunters, you're preaching to the choir. It's really not the target market though. I'm sure a lot of your you know, your fan base are hunters. You know what I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. Except like we genuinely in our mission statement, our audience is intentionally non hunters. Yeah. Um, now we're probably not as successful with that as we'd like to be. And we, by all means love the hunters that listen to us. Um, we, so when we sit down to do a marketing strategy, we divide the world into three groups. And it's hunters, anti-hunters, and non-hunters. The vast majority of the world is a non-hunter, right? Meaning they're not against it. They don't do anything in their daily life to fight it. They just don't do it. Yeah. Um, the antis, you know, um, we're, we're just on a different we, we're just on a different plane with them, right? Like we're we're, we're not going to we're very seldom are we going to achieve our mission with that audience. Um, but yeah, we have a, a ton of our, a ton of our feedback, our emails, our, our website forms and our texts are non hunters. Um, a, a lot of them are hunters too. And we, and we love those. And, you know, some of our greatest supporters are obviously hunters. Um, but our goal with our, with our, the vast majority of our content, especially our episodes 
you know, our, 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 our short form kind of profile episodes that we do about hunters. Um, our hope is that non hunters see those. Um, that's, that's who they're geared for. Yeah. I, I love it, man. It's, it's good stuff. And, and you guys are, are killing it. And I'm a, I'm a proud supporter and I won't say how far above, but I'm above the $3 a month minimum. I'll just leave it at that. We, we appreciate <laughs> it, man. It, and then literally that's, uh, I, I love the, I love the concept, you know, and there's two sides to it is those are the people we want supporting us. Right. We, and, uh, at the same time, it gives us this ability to get the bulk of our funding from a group of people who, you know, in a, in a very business mindset term, um, the bulk of our supporters can't tell us what to do. And I know, I know that can be, that, that could be taken wrong. I, I don't want it to be like, we want feedback from yeah. all of our supporters, um, but we're never going to have to change our mission because of money, because of the funding model that we've built. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Now on, uh, you know, uh, just more generic hunting, blood origins aside, obviously you said, you know, your dad was a duck hunter. That was his thing. What, uh, what are you into now? Anything and everything? What's, what's, do you prefer uh, rifle, muzzle loader, archery? Like what's, what are you into now? So, uh, I, I, this, I, I get asked this question a lot. We also are in the middle of this thing on blood origins where I hate, uh, any adjective or any descriptor before the word hunter, it drives me crazy. Right. Like why can't we just be hunters? Yeah. Um, I think part of that man probably honestly stems from a not real, like, I'd... so the... <laughs> Marine reconnaissance, our logo is what we call a Jack of all trades, right? If, if, if you find a Marine recon guy, he's either got a t-shirt of a, or a tattoo of a Jack of all trades, um, Jack of all trades, master of nuns, the same, right? right? Um, and that's kind of, uh, at least what I, what, that's what I want to be. I, I, I don't like, man, I, I get into bow hunting when it's bow hunting season and then rifle season comes around and then, Quite honestly, fly fishing season comes around, and then I think I'm going to go hard after an antelope this year. But then I get an opportunity to go elk hunt over here, and and uh, I'm the same way. Like I frustrate the crap out of my the guys that I hunt with in Africa because they want to know, right? Like they send you a questionnaire of what you want to go after, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I just want to get up in the morning, and I want to go see. I want to go see what the day brings us, right? Um. And I, it frustrates them because they, but I, it, I don't think it does anymore because they now know that I get that I'm making it harder for them and I'm not going to be mad if the day isn't perfect, right? Like, because if they in their mind know that on Tuesday, Cody wants to go after a kudu, their day's easier than Cody says, I don't know, let's just go see what we can find, yeah. right? Like that's aggravating. I've been on that side of it. I've been an outfitter um, and that's aggravating. Um, but at the same time, that's what I want to do. I just, I just want to be, uh, I want to participate, man. And, uh, I don't know, maybe there's some sub underlying thing that I'm just not dedicated enough to get real good at something to call myself, a X hunter. Yeah. Maybe that's what it may. I'm just, I'm just lazy. And so I'm not a good bow hunter. So I don't be like, I'm a bow hunter. Um, but I just, uh, I probably bow hunt because tags are easier to get. 
Um, I can't stand bow hunters that look down on rifle hunters. Um, I can't, you know, I, I just, that's kind of a, I, I want to be a jack of all trades and I'm not exceptional at any of it. I do have phases, you know, like where I get obsessed with the thing. And right now I'm on a public land archery antelope. I, I've, I've, with my bow. Yeah. That's why it's archery. I doubled, I said it twice. The, I would argue that's the hardest big game hunt in, in the lower 48, not physically, right? It's not a sheep hunt. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to go out and be consistently successful on public land, archery hunting antelope, maybe the hardest, the hardest thing to do in the lower 48. Yeah. And that right now, that's what's in my brain is I wait for August 15th to come around and go get the <laughs> kicked out of me by goats in a pasture. I love it. Well, well, here's where I'm at. And I'd, I'd love to have your take. I, I think we talked about this a little bit some when I came on the roundup and I know I talked about it with, uh, with Robbie. So I, I'm somewhere in, you know, this gray space, you know, you had your three categories. I'm somewhere between hunter and non hunter. Right. So I'm, uh, I've never been opposed. Right. I've never been opposed to it. I've always loved the idea of going out to hunt um, and just, you know, didn't grow up where that was, you know, part of our, our family history tradition, tradition, anything we did, um, you know, by time I lived someplace where maybe I could have gotten into that with some of my friends, families, I was older, high school, um, you know, we'd go out fishing, but I never really went hunting with any of those guys or anything like that. And so just never really presented itself. Uh, right. So now I'm, I'm, I'm way late in the game. So I've been on like a canned hog hunt. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a good, uh, you know, uh, I don't have anything, you know, 30 caliber high, anything that you would typically hunt with, but I've got a very capable AR. I, I went with a heavy, a heavy round. I can't remember what I took out there. I've got a, a buddy that's a ballistics genius. Um, he's like, here, take this with you. You'll be good. And in fact, I was, um, and that was, that was about it. And it didn't feel very sporting. I don't feel bad about what I did. And, uh, right. and the pork that I, I cooked properly from that was good and, and we enjoyed it. <laughs> and, um, right. but, uh, so, so I'm like, I'm looking for this first hunt opportunity, right? So here's what I got going on. I've got a, a buddy of mine, uh, that moved up to Michigan a few years ago and he's got just enough property up there. He's got some deer that'll cross the property. He's like, dude, I'll, I post up in the backyard. Uh, and I'm like, okay this now this is getting interesting he's always bugging me to go up there it's beautiful country up there and the idea of not of dealing with less hassle being on private property i'm like all right so so i'm thinking this is what i'm leaning towards for what i'm referring to as my first legit hunt i'm thinking i want to snag a bow i want to practice i want to get proficient and i want to go sit in his backyard and see if i can't take a deer Am I out of my mind? Yeah. Is, am I setting myself up for failure and frustration starting there? Well, bow hunting, okay, hunting, first of all, is frustrating. Bow hunting then takes it to another level, right? Because the, you, you, the, all of a sudden that deer at 60 yards, probably 50 yards, probably, you, you can't do anything about it, yeah. right? Um, so it, as long as your expectations are that you want to go out and participate and see what participate in nature, right? Like be in nature, not watch nature, be a part of the 
be a part of what's happening that day in the woods or this guy's backyard. Um, and you know, I don't think you're setting yourself. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a phenomenal idea. I think everyone's for, I, I really do think like the old school days of we got to make this kid miserable on his first hunt so that he earns his stripes is stupid. Right. Right. Probably what the reason we have less hunters than we, than we did 30 years ago. Right. Um, no, I think, you know, if, when someone asks me straight up and they have no plan, I always say a turkey hunt. Um, and the biggest single reason there is the weather, right? Like it, it's in the spring. Yeah. So you're not just miserable at, you don't, right, you have less of a risk of being miserable from the weather. Um, but no, I mean, what can go wrong? Like what, what, I mean, the worst thing that can, ha- obviously, I mean, the plane could crash when you're flying in Michigan. I'm not talking about horrible things going wrong. I'm just talking about, you know, if if you don't get a deer, you don't get a deer. You're sitting in the backyard, your buddy's backyard, and probably going in after the hunt and having some beers and and hanging out, right? I mean, that's a, that's, if you have the right outlook going into it, um, I think that's a phenomenal way to get started. Now, you know, not knowing you well enough to know, like, can you flip a switch and say, I'm going to put in the time to get good with my bow? Oh, I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> it, it, so as, as an example, I had, uh, have you, have you ever come across paths with Colorado craft beef now that you're out in their stomping grounds? No. So they're no. Colorado craft beef. They're, uh, based on a, a fifth generation ranch they're in Akron, Colorado. And uh Jeff Smith, the uh, the the co-owner there at Colorado Craft Beef, he was actually on the podcast not too long ago. And we talked about their operation and what they do and and it's awesome. Check out their stuff for sure. Um but mm-hmm. just kind of as an aside there, Jeff he was talking about having been on carnivore diet himself for a while. And uh, God, God bless him and the and the team over there at Colorado Craft Beef. They had sent me a sample box, so I'm sitting on a box full of really good beef as I'm having this conversation with him. And uh, you know, my, my I you know I'd played around with paleo and primal and keto and stuff before, and have heard you know Jordan Peterson and uh, Doctor Sean Baker and you know all this kind of the carnivore buzz and been kicking it around anyways. Sure. So talking to Jeff and he's like, yeah, I'm down, you know, 90 pounds over. I can't remember what amount of time and blood work looks good and I'm healthy. And, uh, that, that flipped the switch. Uh, it was, I, I've eaten nothing but beef, eggs, bacon, and cheese since the Saturday after I recorded with him. So yeah, I think I can pop out back and fire off some arrows every day. No, yeah. I mean, obviously by no means was I doubting you. That's the, that's the thing about having you know jumping into archery is um i mean you felt even even on the you know what you refer to as a canned pig hunt there was still an amount of adrenaline there that you know the fact that you're proficient with the firearm made it easier yeah i'm not trying to say i I, i'm not trying to say that you know Maybe in, in, a, in a lot of circumstances, you could hand somebody the rifle for the first time they ever touched it and they're still going to kill that pig, right? I'm not saying it's, but it's, it's, uh, pardon the pun, it's compounded drastically with a bow. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. uh, proficiency with it is, a is, a it's a, you know, another level. I've, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, 
very, very easily pulled their bow back um, in their backyard and then got the shakes from a whitetail in a tree stand and just literally couldn't break it over. Couldn't, couldn't get it pulled back. I, 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 when I was guiding, when I was guiding, I saw that happen so many times and blew my mind. I watched them shoot at the lodge before we went to the tree stand and then the deer came and they physically couldn't get the boat pulled back. And it's just, you know, it's an, it's an adrenaline thing. There's a, there's a, it, it it's a pretty, uh, all the way from it's incredibly fun and exciting to it's daunting that you're about to kill a thing. Too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, there's a whole lot of emotions involved in the thing. And, um, I'm not trying to over hype it. I'm not a, you know, I'm not Cam Haynes where I'm out shooting a hundred arrows a day from 150 yards. Um, but when I pull my bow back on an animal, I, I have a level of confidence. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it, I think that's a great hunt, man. I mean, and, and you're in it, you know, I, I think a public land hunt for your first hunt is probably a catastrophe waiting to happen. Honestly, I know there's this giant public land, push right now um and it's a great thing and people loving and respecting and understanding the value of our public lands is a phenomenal thing um but if you get a good kind of by controlled i don't mean that the animals controlled that's not what i'm saying but just an environment where you have a little bit more control over things to ease into the experience i think is a phenomenal idea um yeah I, i think it's a great idea man and like i said doing it with a buddy you know, in, in, in his, in his world is a great thing too. Um, you know, the, the, you just gotta be the guy that's ready. Bow hunting is a frustrating thing. Yeah. You know, I think we sit in Colorado at a 6% success rate on archery elk. Right. I mean, and our non-residents are paying $700 a tag to jump in. I mean, baseball players get fired, get fired if they're hitting 6%. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> baseball, baseball players have crappy batting records, but 6% doesn't get it done. And, and that's, you know, it's a weird thing. Everyone, I'll, I'll pick up my bow for a while and then be like, screw this and put it in the case and get the seven millimeter out. Yeah. Now I, I think that's part of the, I think the challenge is this and the Zen is part of the draw to that to me not to downplay like i i understand from the outside looking in that uh you know going out and hunting with with a long gun is not necessarily an easy task either depending on the conditions like you're, you're not guaranteed that you're gonna have a successful hunt just because you're out there with with a rifle uh instead of uh you know instead of a, a bow i i understand that but there's something to that skill set to the repetition um, to the challenge of it. Um, I, I like that, you know, I'm, I'm a gun guy. I'm a certified firearms instructor. I understand the, the mechanics of, uh, you know, trigger discipline and breath control and, you know, point of aim, point of impact. So I, I just like that extra little level with the archery appeals to me. No, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does to me as well. Somewhat. Um, I'll tell you right now that I picked up a bow um, the biggest single reason is more opportunity for me. I mean, you can go to the vast majority of your big game states, whether it's whitetails, mule deer, whatever. I mean, the vast majority of them, you can buy an over-the-counter bow tag. 
um, not in every unit, not in every place and not in every state, but in the majority of them. Um, that's the single biggest reason I got into it Yeah, was, you know, especially in the Western states, drawing a rifle tag um, just gets harder and harder every year. And so, you know, I spend my money and buy and apply and end up with a preference point in most states. And then I buy an over-the-counter archery tag and I'm just waiting until I draw the unit with a rifle that I want. That's That's kind of my western big game hunting agenda that's as much thought as i put into it yeah i'd say the thing that that creeps me out a little bit about uh you know public land hunts uh in in florida it's a different like public land out west means a totally different thing actually you ever want to get super ticked off about government overreach just look at how much land out west is federal land and whether or not it was constitutional for the government to require that for statehood anyways, but that's a whole other uh, can of worms. But uh, down in Ocala, down here in Florida, there's a, there's a big, just public shooting range, right? And you go out there, you only go once unless you're insane because there's holes in everything except for the backstop. It's everybody's, everybody's shooting at everything except for what they're supposed to. And I can't help, but but see those images and think, yeah, these are the same guys hunting public land. (laughs) Yeah. Now I want to say before I agree with you, 100%, I want to say that, that it, that's a great example of a few rotten apples ruining the whole bushel. Right. There are a bunch of good, safe, ethical, hardworking hunters hunting public land. Yeah. Um, but to me, the biggest thing is is just that it's the labels, man, and it's the ego. I can't stand public land hunters that bash private land hunters. I can't. It's just, it's jealousy. It's all it is. Like, are you really telling me? That if you knew this, like I know people in Kansas that knew that their great grandpa knew my great grandpa. So I could probably drop a text and go get in a tree and hunt whitetails at their place on private land. Yeah. Right. Does that make me, that make me less of a hunter than you or a bad person or it just, I have an opportunity that at that place, maybe you don't have. Um, I, I hate the differentiation. Um, and I work my tail off when I'm hunting public land to get away from people like walk a whole lot farther than my fat really wants to, to get away from people. Yeah. That's uh, every mile, every mile, the population of people drops drastically as you walk up the trailhead. Yeah. That's uh, you know, my, my little circle of guys that we, you know, we shoot together and we, we camp together every year, stuff like that's who, who I went on that hunt with. Um, We will camp together a few times a year and it's always primitive camping. And we're always occasionally we'll, we'll hop in some kayaks or some canoes, but we're normally just humping all our gear in. And every time we talk to people about it, they're like, why, like, why not a campground? Why not a whatever? I'm like, because the farther you are from a shower and a toilet, the less people there are guaranteed. Here's the thing too. And I I really don't judge people. I'm a big to eat your own guy, but why the when I go camping with a bunch of strangers, like that's the only reason I'm, I don't even like camping all that. I don't want to sleep in a tent. 
right? Like I have an incredible bed that I love. <laughs> yes. I'm going camping to get away from people. That's why I'm going. And man, it blows my mind every time I walk through a campground and there's just tents stacked on top of oh, each yeah. other. And I'm like, what? Why didn't you just stay home in your neighborhood and have everybody over for a barbecue and then go sleep in your bed? I don't I don't understand that. I'm not, and you know, again, seriously, more power to you. Um, but I'm with you a hundred percent, man. If we're going camping, I better not see another person or I just want to stay home. Yeah. Well, we, we went out, my father-in-law, they were out at a, at a campsite, a state park here recently, and they wanted us to bring the, the kids out. And so we went out and did, you know, marshmallows and hot dogs remember, with them, but it was just the number of people around them that, you know, had, had pulled their, their trailers out there and had extended the living rooms and the bedrooms on them. And we're sitting outside, but they're watching a 55 inch TV that they've swung, right. you know, slid out or swung out from the side. They're doing the same thing they're doing at home. They've just given up the AC, which is no small sacrifice, uh, but they haven't completely given it up because when they're done watching TV outside, they're going to go watch it inside where it's still air conditioned. Right. They hauled the Traeger out and plugged it into the generator that's roaring through the campground and making all this damn, like I, I don't, uh, again, I don't want to judge people, but, uh, that's, I, I love my home, right? Like, and my Traeger has a permanent plug-in dedicated to it on the wall. I'm not hauling it out in the middle of the woods and then hauling the gin. If I want to cook on the Traeger, I'll just stay at the house and sleep in my bed. Yes. I'm, I'm, I have absolutely no problem with that. I, I've gotten, I uh, am, am, am not good at it at all, but I fly fish a lot. I'm lucky enough to live within an hour's drive of 70 miles of gold medal fly fishing. Um, and I go to a lot of places where the fishing's not very good, right? When, when I go fly fishing, I go to places and the guys, some of the guys that I know are like, why there's no, there's not very many fish up there. And I'm like, I know, but there's no people. <laughs> yes. There's no people. <laughs> yeah. The fishing's terrible, but there's no people. And, and that, that's what I want. I go catch little fish out of creeks instead of. I, I do both and I, I contend with the people and man in July, like in, I've lived in Colorado now for just over three years and I'm, all, and I'm pissed about all the people that are coming to Colorado, which is a gigantic irony. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way with my fishing and my hunting. I, I, I bought an over the counter elk tag this year and went to a place where I wasn't sure if there was any elk and it turns out there wasn't, but I was perfectly fine because I saw one person in two days. I've, I've seen elk in person one time. I've got a uh, family on my wife's side in, in Breckenridge. And uh, we went to visit them. Uh, it was my, my first time uh, out to that, that side of the country. And understanding that, that Breckenridge is very commercial and touristy. I mean, it's, it's Disney and the Rockies. Um, but it was also, I mean, we, we did some incredible hiking and, you know, it was very scenic. But we went and saw uh, the bristlecone trees while we were up there. And yep. probably, which is an incredible thing in and of itself to just be around something natural that old, to understand it's been there before you, before America, before most of what you've read about and will be there long after. Um, right. you know, these thousands year old trees, but there was a herd of elk up there. And even often that they were far off from us. I mean, they were probably 500 yards or more, but you could sense the, like you could feel the presence and the power of those animals. And it wasn't a huge herd. Um, 
you know, even at that distance. And so particularly as we talk about bow hunting, being close enough to take an elk with a bow has to just be a crazy experience. Well, and then the, the crazy experience about it is the bulk of the time when you're bow hunting elk, you're in the bugle, you're in their rut. And if you can remotely run a call, you have a pretty good chance of getting that eight, 900 pound animal to come running at you pissed off. Um, and yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's daunting, yeah. right? Like I really, you know, like losing a loved one is about the only thing that I'm kind of actively scared of in my life. But you have a, you have a elk come chart like you know that's the whole premise of bugling for an elk is you're trying to piss the thing off and it wants to come fight you right right and i don't care what anybody says people are gonna this is where the what the one other account on social media would say you make hunters look like then if you're not a little (laughs) bit like oh when an elk comes running at you then i don't think you belong out there right Mm -hmm. like it's it's a it's an ordeal yeah it really is that and last year i went on my first mountain lion hunt with dogs and man did i think the thing was going to be farther up in the tree than it was (laughs) it was about it was about eight feet up in the tree when we got to it and i thought man i really wanted that thing to be like 50 feet up in the tree because it's right freaking there dude i I, uh, i i'm i'm in like i definitely want to to become a legit hunter it's something i want to i want to raise my kids with whether it sticks with them or not um and and for a, a multitude of reasons one is like rather i stick with carnivore or not as as an omnivore i don't want to continue to outsource all of my sustenance right like um so whatever so there's all and i love being outdoors and i love i'd love to have another excuse to be outdoors um and I have, oh, but I, I have no interest, at least now, maybe this will change, in hunting anything that could hunt me back. <laughs> right. I, I used to, I worked pro AV for a long time where I was doing like, you know, concert type audio and lighting and video and stuff like that and install. And dude, I'd, I'd run speaker wire, I'd run network cables, I'd, I'd hook all that stuff up, but I never, I never messed with the electricity. The electrician can come and do all that stuff. Cause electricity bite right. electricity bites back. And it's kind of that same thing. I, I don't need right. to eat anything that could eat me back. I don't, uh, I, uh, so this mountain lion that we took in January and I didn't actually shoot it. Um, someone else did, but I was right there with him. Um, but we cut the track on my 40 acres. I mean, he was on my 40 acres when I found the track in the snow and called the guys with the dogs. Um, and it's uh, there's a I, I, there's a whole bunch of things in my life that kind of goes back to this uh, jack of all trades masters. And there's a whole bunch of things in my life. Like one time, I made this list of what I called one month jobs of a whole bunch of things that I wanted to do for a month. I was fully I'm fully aware that I do not want to do that bearing sea deadliest catch fishing thing i'm not that that's not my game yeah hard right? pass but i want but i want to do it for a month i want to go for one month all right i'm going to tell them right up front look i'll i will work my ass off for you for a month i'll do what you say because i don't want to die i follow instructions very well 
but I'm leaving in 30 days because I know I don't want to do this long time. You're tougher than I am, right? I had, I made I made a list of those one time. I was on a ship in the Marine Corps. I made this list. I called one month job. And so there's a whole bunch, like, I do want to hunt a mountain lion. And that's a thing where you can really, you know, we get into the whole why we hunt thing. You know, why, why is that? Why? I think it's just a straight primal thing that I want to do it. And I, I think I am okay with that. Yeah. Right. Um, we eat them. I, I ate the back straps out. They gave me the back straps because it was on my land. They gave me the back straps out of the one we shot in January. Um, and we eat them. Um, that's not my drive. I I, I want to hunt a mountain lion. You know, I I, I, I want to do it one time, and uh, I want to. And I think it's uh, it goes back to my participation thing. You know, I I I want to know I can do it. Yeah. Um, and whether that's some weird primal thing, I don't know what it is, but I do want to do it. I I got my tag, and it's uh, we got about three inches of snow since you and I started talking. So we're getting into that season where it's going to be time to go chase one. That's I don't, I don't want to buy dogs. I don't want to become a mountain lion hunter. I don't want to do it full time, but it, it's a thing that I, that I want to do. And and that's kind of a one month job for me. Yeah. This January. Fair enough. Uh, now I don't know of any outdoorsman outdoors person. Uh, regardless of what gets you outdoors, uh, that isn't a gear guy, right? So in, in the spirit of the, I, I want to get this hunt in and under my belt, I, I did want to pick your brain a little bit on, on gear. Now, what was re- recommended to me as a, as a great place to start with a good, solid compound bow was a bear cruiser. Got any, got any takes here? Um, I don't have any experience with bear, right? Um, other than going way back to when I was a kid, I had a bear. Um, I don't think, man. I, I I think you'd be absolutely fine. Yeah, I don't like. I can tell you this: that I've had three bows in my lifetime. Um, and started bow hunting thirty four years ago. Um, and they were all three different brands and I loved all three. <laughs> like, right on. like, um, you know what I'm really bad about with gear is I don't like to wait. Here's what I mean. I had this high country archery bow, which don't try to go to their website. Cause I'm pretty sure we're about the 15 year mark since they went out of business. <laughs> and I bought it when I was, I think 17. I had one bow before that, and then I hunted with that bow for 29 years. And I'm telling you, it was outdated. Some broke that I tried to fix. It's amazing it didn't blow up on me. But I got about I got 93 whitetails on it, and and some antelope and some mule deer and a cow elk and 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 uh, you know it it worked for me, but it broke. And I was, and I went to the, took it to the bow shop to get it fixed. And he didn't have the parts because obviously this, you know, it was like, if you had a DeLorean right now and the door (laughs) broke, it'd be fairly hard to get another door, right? right? Because they don't make them anymore. And I was about the bow shop. Not my wife 
um, surprised me with a gift certificate to my local bow shop for my birthday. I don't know why I'm here. It was a thousand dollar gift certificate. And, uh, I went in and he's like, what do you want? And I said, I want, you know, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. And really what it boiled down to was I wanted what he had in stock right then and there because I didn't want to wait around for it. That, that that's that's how I chose uh, the, I wanted the I wanted the bow that I liked that was hanging on his wall. Yeah. Um and I, I'm shooting a bow tech now and I absolutely love it. Um but I love it because he set it up for me and and you know, and my wife bought it for me and and uh I'm not really a uh my only weird like six hour pistols is really the only like like I don't know the only pistols that I own that aren't six hour are old cowboy guns. Um that all goes back to I hated the berettas that we were issued in the Marine Corps yeah. and my dad through the six hour I, I ended I was carrying a brand new just came out two two six on deployments in a nine millimeter while everybody else was carrying 92 fs's that were not a bad gun it was just a marine corps bought them right after lincoln's assassination and you know they were just old and worn out yeah and so bear makes a great product obviously fred bears that you know the ultimate he's the elvis of archery hunting of all time the greatest of all time um, and I, I think it's a good piece of gear, man. Just, it's, it's just be comfortable with it. I think. Yeah. And, and, and shoot it. Don't, don't cheap out on arrows. Um, but you also don't need the most expensive arrows ever made. You know, um, I think the biggest thing is don't, my big, biggest piece of advice for somebody getting into it is don't get too wrapped up in that stuff unless it's your thing. Right. Yeah. Unless it's your thing. Like, I'm, I'm the same way with gun ballistics. Somebody asked me what caliber of gun should they have. Um, you know, my, my standard answer for – I still think a .30-06 is the best all-around round in the, in the United – for hunting big game in North America. I have a Remington 700 .30-06 that anything that you should shoot with a rifle in the, in the United States, I would be comfortable shooting with it. I also got a whole bunch of fancier guns than that, but <laughs> – but the the whole ballistics argument is just like the whole archery gear argument. Um, the biggest gear thing, man, is make sure your clothes are right. And what I mean by right is make sure you're comfortable. Yeah. Right. Like don't yeah. be don't be cold. In Michigan in deer season, it can be cold. That's that's my biggest gear advice to you. Is don't be cold. Now at the same time, make sure that all the shit that you got on to not be cold that you can pull your bow back too, because that's a big thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't catch the flap of your giant puffy coat when you pull your release and the string goes forward. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know there's different, not, the, I know there's different styles of releases. If as somebody starting out, is there's, is there one that's more forgiving than another? Yeah. And it, it, forgiving wise to me, it's the less fancy, right? Like it, it, it's the, it's the less intricate, that's where I and genuinely, this is not a, sometimes I tell people things cause I don't want them to get wrapped up and spend a ton of money. They don't need to spend. This is not that type of advice. This is get a simple one. Yeah. Get a simple one. That's going to be like 40 bucks and don't think you're cheaping out. Just get a simple one that works. Right. 
And then if, if, if you progress and want to get more intricate and different handholds and stuff, go that route. I think, you know, there's ones that you hold in your hand and there's ones that just wrap in your wrist. Like on my release, my entire hand is loose and my, tr- like it's my wrist has got all the connection. Yeah. Right. Um, to me, that's a lot more forgiving and I've never changed. I shoot the exact same style, not, you know, I've, I've got a new one, but it's the exact same style of the most mundane release out there. Um, but I really do think that start out simple because once you commit to the handhold, the fancy precision ones, that's, you don't even know where your hand's comfortable yet in your cheek hold, in your, in your cheek weld. Yeah. Right. I mean, just get the, get the one that wraps around your wrist and has a simple trigger on it and get comfortable shooting the bow before you decide that you're going to make a switch in your style because of the kind of release that you have. Gotcha. That's, yeah, that's that's the one thing where I'm like, I I, I feel like I, I need to make sure I get that right. And that's probably just the pistol instructor instructor coming through for me where you can have all the rest of your mechanics right. And if your trigger discipline sucks, your rounds aren't going where you're telling them to go. Right. Much less of a much less of a trigger effect. A firearm has way more of a trigger effect in the sense that you're half that you're making them you're 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 using a pressure to make a mechanical action happen with an archery release all you're doing is opening it up yeah right like you you and there's they, they, they can be set to super sensitive where the second you touch it you know um that part of it is not even as big a deal as the way, like there's releases where you're going to hold your hand with the back of your hand to your face and you're gripping this kind of like, um, they look like, you know, those things that we used to squeeze like this. Cause for some reason we wanted our hands to be stronger. Like some of them look like that kind of, right. Right. Um, and they're, they're, you know, it, it's just like bass fishermen. I think bass fishermen started outdoorsmen down this horrible trend of, there's always something better. That's part of the reason I had this bow so long, right? Was I just wanted to be the old dude that didn't need the latest and greatest. I, I really did. Um, it got to the point that I had to upgrade, but I think, I think on a release, start out cheap and start out cheap and simple and until, you know, and then you realize that you're probably going to buy another release. Right on. My, the, I will tell you that I want to say this about the bow too. I hate, I hate getting into, into this too deep, but if you think there's a future in it, I, some of this, I, I, I don't, I don't know you personally well enough really either, but I mean, do, are, are you going to, are you imagine that you're a guy that's going to have three bows hanging in five years? Well, if not, yeah. No, maybe step that bow up one notch. Okay. Maybe step it up one notch if you're if you're not going to be the guy that has three bows hanging in five years. Okay, that's a good word. I don't consider myself that guy, except you know, I also got two gun safes full of rifles and five fly fishing rods, which yeah. none of which can I use more than one at a time. So I don't know why. But well, I, I'm married to a highly intelligent and accomplished. Uh, you know, CFO who's a CPA with her MBA. So it's probably just going to be one bow. I'm really hoping she latched onto that part where you talked about your wife getting you a thousand dollar gift certificate. Um, so babe, right. babe, when you get to this point in the podcast, if you're taking notes, that was a one with three zeros, that gift certificate. Right. 
Um, so, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Cause it's not, I'm not like, I, I love to, to shoot. I'm a gun guy, but I'm not, uh, I'm a, like, how uh, do I have my categories of tools checked off? Yeah, we're good. Okay. I don't need another thing in that, in that category, you know, other than, you right. know, my grandpa's old, you know, side by side, 12 gauge, you know, with, you know, the beautiful, beautiful bluing that, you know, I don't know if he ever shot it. Um, you know, I don't have any safe Queens. Right. And so, you know, one, one good bow that'll last and get the job done. That's good for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure that I wouldn't shop around. Um, and that, uh, no knock on bear. Um, to be honest, I just don't know, you know, I guarantee a Hoyt Matthews Bowtech, any of those are going to be bows that you could, you know, shoot for 10 years. Yeah. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that the bear's not, I just don't know. Right. I haven't shot a bear since I was before I had a driver's license. Yeah. Well, and the only, the reason I started looking into them is uh, that same buddy that's up in Michigan. Um, I think he has one. I really likes them and mentioned that uh, I, I think that maybe their, their shop started right around where he's at up there. Yeah. 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 Fred, I, I do know that Fred bears a Michigan guy yeah. or was so, well, the, the, the dream, the plan I'm formulating in, in my head at this point, and I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for any commitment here. I'm not fishing. I'm just, I'm just dreaming. I'm just whiteboarding here is this, this first deer hunt up in Michigan, uh, just turns into just the, the perfect episode of blood origins, you know, this middle-class white guy learning to hunt in his forties and the whole, the whole segment just origin USA can be a sponsor and they can just kit me out and all of their new sweet camo gear. Uh, and I'll, and it's, it's just a, it's a, it, in the great words of Michael Scott, it's a win, win, win. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, I like that origin stuff. I got a pair of jeans. I, I, I love that. He's, I love that they're, that they're taking a legitimate crack at, uh, at the American made thing. Yeah. They're not the only ones doing it. There are some other people um, that do it. Um, that's a whole nother, like I'm a, uh, I want to be a buy American guy. Yeah. But it's really stupid to do it whole hog. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, you're just an idiot. If you, if you go, if you like my father-in-law, my wife's dad, I mean, he's diehard. Like he's got shoes on that you would never recognize in the world because he found a company that every single aspect of the shoe is made in. That's a hard thing to do, right? Yeah. That shoe has you can't have any rubber in it, right? In his mind, there can't be any rubber in the shoe because there's no rubber in the United States. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, I don't have that kind of discipline. Sometimes I wish I did, but I do love companies that are these companies out there that are trying to bring manufacturing back um you know you're just gonna have to pay a hundred plus bucks for a pair of jeans it's yeah. just gonna have to happen yeah well and it's yeah it, thus far origin seems to be pulling it off and it's uh you know it's not an easy task and to the extent of you know a lot of times made in america on a tag means assembled in america where where they can it's, you know, like with their clothing lines, they, they say from the dirt to the shirt. I mean, everything from the cotton on up, um, you know, to, to the labor and the shipping. I, I did have, um, 
And I've been a, an affiliate with them for a while, and we push the the Jocko Fuel stuff more than the, than the Origin side. But just recently, I've, I've been dropping some weight. I'm like, I've held off on Origin jeans because they're pricing because I was dropping weight. Like, I didn't want to buy a $125 pair of hand-me-downs for somebody else. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm kind of zeroing in. So I ordered a couple of pair. They were shipping. I was excited to get home and get them. I get here, freaking packages opened, and a pair of them's missing, and they were delivered that way. Thank you, UPS. Yeah. Yeah. It's Ugh. always a risk. That's uh, I still can't. Uh, I'm uh, the only clothes that I order online are, well, with rare exceptions to include my pair of origin jeans, I guess. But I, I, the only clothes I order online are clothes that are, are, are replacements. Right. Like, like if I have this pair of pants from a company and I, and I want another one and I know the size and I know the style and I know, the, you know, I just, I have, I have no luck, man. Yeah. I have no luck. A, a, a 34 inch waist is not the same thing in with every manufacturer. And no. it just drives me absolutely bananas, but I have no luck. And I, so I still, and I, I spend, a, I'm the that goes to a lot of stores and tries stuff on and then goes home and orders it online. Um, yeah. But, I'm, I order almost everything online, but clothes, and I refuse to do it with shoes. I'm very picky about how my footwear fits. And so the only shoes and boots that I order online is if I'm ordering the exact same pair that I already have from the same company. Yeah. No, I, I feel that. It's gotten a little easier with free returns, but it's still it goes back to the... You know, what boat do I want? The one I can have right now. It's the, what, <laughs> what boots do I want? The ones I can walk away with. Right Look, now. I don't have to, I'm, I'm the, this is a horrible thing to admit in a recorded environment, but I got a pile of sitting in the garage that it's like I have some weird adversity to taking it down to the UPS place and at like of, of returns. Yeah. Like I'm horrible at it. I don't get I don't ever get it done. Yeah. And my wife is a big fan of she'll need a dress for an event and she'll order four. Right. And she's like, oh, it's free returns. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we actually have to return it or we're just going to end up putting it on a hanger. And yeah, I'm I'm not good at it. Yeah. It only works if you actually return, return the item for sure. So, well, dude, I appreciate you coming on. This has been a blast. We, no, absolutely, uh, we, man. I, I love this format. Yeah, we, we've we got to do it again. You're right up the Solid 7 Podcast alley. And uh, next time we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a proper episode. With my regulars, normally it's just, uh, hey, what have you been up to? Hey, what have you been up to? And then we go with whatever the news of the day is. If right. Tech, right. politics, I, 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 whatever, man. I can, I can do that for sure, I promise you. To the point that sometimes I talk too much and, and grandstand a little bit. I don't mean to, but I end up doing it. Yeah, and there's still, man, there's there's more hunting. I'd love to talk. I do want to, uh, so low-key, I'm holding out. Uh, I, I do, I'm shameless. I don't care that I'm a 42-year-old man. I have an Amazon wish list that is available. If you would like to buy me a Christmas gift, listeners, it's not hard to find. But, you know, like we do gift, you know, like Secret Santa draws with the families and stuff, and everybody shares their list. So that, uh, that bear bow is on the top of that list. Now, I might swap out what bow it is now, but... Cause you never know how much somebody loves you. Um, right. and, uh, but we'll see, but one way or the other, I'm, I'm probably coming out of December with a bow. So we'll, we'll, we'll do this again. And, uh, 
you know, I can, I'll use that as a great opportunity to update on my, my journey in, uh, uh, archery, but, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk at some point with, uh, you know, doing the, the destination hunting and going and, and doing the hunts in like Africa and Argentina and, and that kind of thing, I think is something that would be awesome for the listeners to hear about. Cause I think a lot of, yeah, well, absolutely. I, I know from listening to you guys, a lot of that stuff is more attainable than you would, would maybe think it is until you start to look into it. Oh, there's a ton of people. We, we I won't take us down the path, but there's a ton of people who think they can't afford Africa or, or an international hunt of any kind. And then they go and spend more money on a domestic hunt because they, because they've been now, obviously, you know, there are people that go and spend, there's people that go and spend seven figures on, on international hunts, but that's, you know, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I can promise you <laughs> that every time I've gone on an international hunt, it has been less money than some domestic hunts. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's been cool to hear about on your podcast and it's something that I'd love to, uh, to cover on here sometime. So for sure. Yeah, absolutely. On the return visit. Anytime. Well, brother, I appreciate you doing this listeners. We appreciate you as always. Uh, you know, it, visit the website, solid seven podcast.com solid, the number seven podcast.com. Uh, and, uh, on there, you can always find links to the latest episode, like the one that you are listening to right now. There's links to our affiliates, go ruck, uh, Jocko fuel, Tuttle twins, uh, there's a whole slew of good causes to support on there. I believe there's a Blood Origins uh, link on there if you want to find out more about them. And of course, uh, you know, you guys are on, you know, all the usual social medias and all that stuff. Not at all hard to find. Check out the Blood Origins podcast. Look them up on YouTube. Uh, you definitely will not regret it. But uh, if you haven't already, uh, hit that subscribe button or follow or whatever your app lets you do. And, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and review, that all helps the evil algorithms tell other people that we're worth listening to. And until SIG comes through as a sponsor of the Solid 7 Podcast, there's links on there to become Patreon supporter and uh, maybe even buy us a Jocko Ghost. All that is uh, right there on the website. And uh, listeners, we love you. Until next week, we're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mm-hmm.